Yeah, it fucking did. That's why like it looks sometimes. the fucking same. It doesn't look the same. It does, though. It looks graphically the same. The, the Pokemon and... models are the same models as the ones in Sun and Moon. Now, they did stuff that can only be done on the Switch. Yeah. I will give that point. Oh, you could definitely However, tell it... yeah, yeah. you yeah. could have released this game on the 3DS by cutting out some shit. Yeah, I think so. A lot of shit. And the things that make the game good, in my opinion. But yeah, I guess you could. That's cool. But like... Okay... I feel like maybe in the very early stages it was a 3DS game. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of had to have been. Because you went several years without a mainline Pokemon game. Yeah. Well, actually, not that many. They were clearly planning it already. Right. I mean, you had... Yeah, the Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon releases with the first year the Switch was out. No, Sun and... Did Sun and Moon come out the first year the Switch was out? No. Am I right about that? No, Switch wasn't out yet. It's Ultra right Sun and Moon. Okay, that's maybe. what it was. Okay. Maybe. I yeah, say maybe. Moon. I don't actually even yeah. know. Because I don't think it was that long that the Switch existed that they took to make Let's Go. Was it? It was a year after the Switch came yeah. out. So, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in, what, 20... Yeah, 2017, right? Was the release year for the Switch? Or was it 2016? 2017. I don't know. My point is, with every single other Nintendo franchise, mm -hmm. except for the ones that they ignore, <laughs> you can tell easily that, like, okay, Super Mario Brothers, NES generation, Mario World, clearly a huge step forward, Super Nintendo generation. Mario 64, clearly a huge step forward, Nintendo 64 generation. Mm -hmm. Mario Sunshine, clearly a huge step forward. That's because it's not Galaxy, a... Mario Galaxy, clearly a huge step forward. This isn't... Mario po Odyssey, clearly a huge step forward. Pokemon's not made by Nintendo. Yeah, so but I'm, that's not an excuse either. I know, but I'm just letting you know that, like, it's not going to add... Uh, Pokemon games I don't think will ever have the same level of polish that the actual in-house Nintendo games do. Because they, they're they a cut above they still every could. other dev. They could. Yeah, yeah, any game could. It's not like they don't have the fucking funds. I agree. That is the biggest fucking moneymaker in the history of video games, probably. I could care less about how the games look. What, what disappointed me about this game, actually, was the uh, frame rate. It was a big thing. That, that really, really disappointed me. About Pokemon. Um, what's, what's 3DS run on, just for a reference point? Oh, God. Like, maxed out, probably. I mean, probably 30 FPS, like, at, at its best. And then what's this game run at, 30? Uh, actually, 45. Most parts. Okay. And then and then when, you're in, when, you, when you go online and you're out in the wild area, it tanks. Yeah. Well... That's because the wild area stuff was probably the the biggest addition they made to take advantage of Switch hardware, but it still doesn't work. Yeah. But that like that clearly couldn't have worked on 3DS. I'm not arguing that at all. Uh, about, about a good half the shit in the game wouldn't have worked on 3DS. The, uh, well, the incredibly... they're not incompetent. Right. They're good developers, and they made a good game, but... I, I feel like we make excuses for Game Freak that we wouldn't for any other fucking company. I don't think I do. I don't think you do, but I think people do. 
I'm about to treat it about the same way I treat every other game. Does it have technical problems? Yes. Did I enjoy my time playing it? Yes. Yeah. So it's a good I was game. thinking about this and like, okay, so if this was a 3DS game, it's $40. Yeah. It's not $60, it's $40. Uh-huh. Does this justify having an extra $20 that you have to spend? Yeah, and I think depending on the content, it does so here. A, a two a two expansion set of DLC for thirty dollars isn't like a new concept. No, it's not. But it's an annoying one that often gets taken advantage of. I'd rather have that than like fucking like microtransactions and shit. If you give me two made, if the expansions are major, right, and they, and they add like there's a good two? breath of there's two of them. This isn't one thing. This is two things. You're so there's a thirty dollar and then another thirty dollar. No, 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 no. They're both included in it. Okay. There's a summer expansion and a fall expansion. Is the implication That's being a season passer, by that way. it's a whole other game's worth of content? At least I would hope at least half because it's thirty dollars. Okay. Well, that's my thing though. Is like if you look at like I don't know Sun and Moon, and then Ultra Sun and Moon. They didn't add much. They didn't add much, but in order to experience both, you had to spend eighty bucks, right? If you had to experience both Here games, it's 90, yeah. And. That other 20 is just coming from it being on the Switch to me. Like, I think this was, like, if Switch games were 40, it would have been 40. It's just yeah. a question of, like, it's not necessarily Pokemon's fault. No, that's not a Pokemon Or Game thing. Freaks. But it's weird to me. That's just that, a console like, thing in general. You're not you're not really justifying to me why it's a $60 If you're game. not an indie game, like, if you're not an indie game, every mainline, like, console game that comes out has has a default price tag. And that's the only reason why Pokemon Sword and Shield costs $60. Is because that's that predetermined price tag. I get it. I just don't like that that exists. Yeah, and I think, I think people I should be I don't think they would have made it $40 even if that didn't exist, though. Probably not, no. There's a lot of post-game content in this game. More than in most other Pokemon games, which is nice. Okay. More stuff to do. Um, more Pokemon... More, like, Gigantamax stuff you get to go and do. Which is really good. Um, some of the, the, as usual with Pokemon games, the online stuff was like they added some new cool stuff and then took stuff away. So that was kind of disappointing. I think all in all, it's a good game. And then yeah, I think adding Gigantamax and Curry is questionable to me. They always have some dumb fucking thing. They do. I wish they didn't. Right. Me too. Uh, I wish they stuck with the things that people liked. Yeah. And then didn't just delete them immediately. Right. To add another dumb thing every generation. Yeah. Because that's, like, that suggests to me that they're focusing more on that than any actual improvement, really. Yeah. Or, or not, improvement's not the right word. Step forward? Yeah, sure. Would probably be more what I'm looking for. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know, we're not even recording, so, like, why are we even... No, I might just faded into this, and we're already headlong into the conversation. Oh, okay. Hey, again. How professional. <laughs> we might as well, I guess. I don't know. We're already deep into it. I'll find a spot. Whatever you want to do. I'll just coast it in. And where we're going right now. Hey, hey again. Hey. Who are you? Let, let's resume our conversation about Pokemon. Where am I? <laughs> I did the thing, though. See? I feel like I'm drowning <coughs> in uh, Diet Pepsi. A refreshing Pepsi, drink. That Pepsi Jr., as you were calling it earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New, New Year's resolution. We're gonna, we call in Diet Soda's... Junior, <laughs> so this a uh, this a Pepsi Junior I'm drinking. It's not a Diet Pepsi. That's stupid. Yeah, that's the 2019 thing. New decade, Pepsi Junior. <laughs> if they have Diet Diet Pepsi, we'll go. We'll call it Pepsi the Third. But I don't think they're gonna do that. So anymore. Pepsi Max is that Pepsi the Third? No, nah, that's just Pepsi Max. 
Oh, okay. Is that di- even a Diet Pepsi? I mean, it had, it's zero sugar. Okay. So I guess it's technically a Diet That's Pepsi. Pepsi Junior Max, then. Pepsi Junior Max. Yeah. Very good. Which is like a... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Your system has flaws. It's like jumbo jumbo shrimp, you know. It's like oh. you, can't, you can't call something that. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds funny, though. Yeah. I love the concept of the word jumbo shrimp. The words jumbo shrimp. It's big, but it's small. You know. Shrimp small, but big jumbo. Mm-hmm. Shrimp. Yeah. Good shit. Anyway, Pokemon. <laughs> I, I agree. I do love the jumbo shrimp Pokemon. And it's a, what, corefish? I, like I don't corefish, know. Sure. I'm sure there's it's a, like a It's like a crawfish, though. It's yeah. Like a, I don't know. There's some shrimp Pokemon, I'm sure. Anyway. I want, I, I want Game Freak to uh, hire more people. <laughs> Me too. Because uh, I can't keep listening to the same... Uh, uh, we don't have enough people working for us. Excuse. I hire more people. Yeah, you guys uh, You guys have... Um, You're a multi-billion you know, dollar corporation with a B. You basically have the superpower of unlimited money at this point because Pokemon. I can't... It's, in our, it's an inarguable fact. Yeah. It's the, it's, There's no reason why you have to have cut content from your games... Regardless of how trivial it is, like I don't care if every Pokemon's in the game. I don't care, but it shouldn't even have been a discussion in the first place because you have infinity money. Just put them in the game. <laughs> you could have hired a couple more people and then they're in the game. I don't. Pfft, I don't know. Why not? You have the money. I actually enjoy that there's not all the Pokemon in this game, and I would also that's why I did. Now it's we have to see if it's behind, if like actually getting the Pokemon is behind a paywall or not. But I actually like the concept personally of having a base set of Pokemon and then getting the rest drip fed to me. Here's it's, why it's not technically behind a paywall, but yeah, right. So here's why going into a game that this is what happened with uh, Ultra Sun and Moon, right? I finished those. I finished that. I had Ultra Sun. I finished that game, right? And. I had all the Pokemon open to me now. You know how fucking exhausting it is to have, like, 700-something fucking Pokemon just dropped on you? And then, like, oh, here, here you go, go, go get them. I don't think anyone is suggesting that. But whatsoever. that's what these games did up until this point. And that's what those people want. Those people are stupid. I'll tell you what I would I don't prefer. want that. I, I like a model. I would prefer a model where... I, I have, like, I and mean, I guess it's sort of like a fucking games of service thing, whatever, whatever you want to fucking call it, uh-huh. where I get my initial set of Pokemon, like, I'm almost done with my living decks yeah. in Pokemon Sword, right? There's a couple other things I have to get that are hard for me to do, and then, like, the legend, the shield legendary, which I don't know how I'm going to get that. But I'm going to have that done, right? And now, as these expansions are dropping and more Pokemon get added, then I get to go get this Galarian Slowpoke now that just dropped today. That's cool. And then, like, I'm going to get, like, you know, like, a hundred more Pokemon to go catch with this big expansion in half a year. Cool, I could go get the hundred more Pokemon instead of, like, having... I get bored. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. But I also understand what people who would like to bring teams and Pokemon that they've had for years forward that couldn't... Well, it looks like you uh, can, so... ...have a problem with. It looks like you can. You can. Like but future. it depends, because it's still not all the Pokemon. Yeah, sure. 
And there are ways to do it where it's not just, hey, there's a thousand Pokemon in the game. Because that's a terrible way to do it. Uh, I don't know. I think Sun and Moon did it okay. There was a lot of Pokemon in the game. But for the most part, like every Pokemon game, it focused more on new ones. And the really cool thing that Sun and Moon did that Sword and Shield continued to do was variations of old Pokemon. Yeah, that's fun. And that stuff's fun as hell to me. Yeah, it's great. It adds to the amount. And they're <laughs> if still you're trying doing to that. Catch everything, I suppose. Right. It is still. They're still doing that, and yeah, it, it's cool. And there's, it looks like they're doing it like with the DLC too. You get the Galarian Slowpoke thing that just happened. Yeah, I think the best thing that you can do would be to have a restricted amount of Pokemon, and then once you beat the game, there's an extended amount of Pokemon, and then there's some kind of update that lets you just bring everything over. You think that maybe might just happen? I mean... That come next fall, do you think maybe that might just happen? I mean, maybe. Where they're just like, all right, it's time. Here's everything. Why not? I'm sure that they'll actually have the time to do that now with their fucking tiny-ass staff because they won't hire anybody else, dumb fucks. <laughs> but that's my main problem, though. It's like, that could just be a thing from the get-go. It could have been. And you could still have the game focus on the new Pokemon. You don't even have to have the National Dex in the game. You could just have it be... Like, you know, your Pokemon's unlisted. You have a weird Pokemon that isn't in the decks of this country. But hey, that's a cool Pokemon that you transferred over. Yeah, I think a big part of it is probably they put so much extra work. Like, each game, each game's Pokedex has a separate entry for that Pokemon. It's like, why are you doing this? (laughs) And stuff like that. Where if you have that size of your staff, and then you do that, like, it just makes it so much harder. And I understand it's probably because they're passionate about each and every single one of those fuckers. And they want to give them proper justice, bringing them over or whatever. It's not like these people are, like, sitting... It's not like the, the developers at Game Freak are sitting there going, like, Mmm, time to get some more money off the kids. Yeah. They're the people who are actually passionate about the game. Right. So, like, if if they are having time-constrained issues, well, I guess there's nothing you can do about it. Besides, you know, maybe hiring more people. I think they should. And I think they should... I think the next Pokemon game, I'm really hoping, is an actual step forward. Me too. Wasn't anticipating this one to be a big step forward. Because <coughs> it's their first time not on a handheld. They're still going, They're still kind of on a handheld. You remember Diamond Pro Platinum? Yeah. They weren't like... They, they were a step forward, but not a huge one compared to the GBA, GBA games. Yes. And by the time you, by the time you got to Black and White 2, it was like wild for the regular DS. It's like the same thing. And even, like, Pokemon X and Y to uh, Sun and Moon. Mm-hmm. That fucking gigantic difference. Like, Yeah, X and Y is fairly basic, and then Sun and Moon is... Wild. Wildly different. Right. But then this one's even more different than Sun and Moon. But this one is basic is as far as a next generation right. would be. So hopefully Gen, whatever the number would be, nine? Is nine yeah, next? Yeah, nine's next. Hopefully nine is something completely new. I think it needs it. I think sometimes when a franchise gets stagnant, you need to take a step back and do something different. And and stagnant could still be... I don't even mean bad. Like, Zelda got stagnant, and it was still making games that I would struggle to say aren't fantastic. Like Skyward Sword. (laughs) Yeah. I think that game's fantastic. Well, at a certain point, you have that formula that was going back to Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword are all fun and great. 
but they recognized that doing something different would be fucking cool, and then they made Breath of the Wild, and it was like one of the best fucking games ever made. Yeah. So I think they need to do that. And it doesn't even have to be that big of a difference. Like, Mario Odyssey is still like a Mario 64 game. Yeah, but it, like, does enough. Yeah, but it's, like, it's different than any other Mario game as well. Right. Uh, they don't have to make a Breath of the Wild. They could make a Mario Odyssey for Pokemon. Whatever that means for Pokemon, I don't know. Because th- that's the... the They're the kings of if it ain't broke, it, it, it don't fix it. Right. Like, <laughs> over at Game Freak. That I don't I don't know what you do. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that I personally will occasionally play a Pokemon game, but I, I'm okay with skipping entire generations. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't know. I played Sun and Moon, and I enjoyed it, but, God, I, I barely played X and Y. I didn't play Black and White. I didn't play Diamond and Pearl. I, I, I literally just kind of, like, skipped from three to the three remake. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of kept playing them as I had a 3DS. But uh, I, I don't know. I want them to catch me with something like off guard. I hope so, too. That's and what I, I think, want. You know, I expect that from Nintendo. I know Game Freak's not cut and dry Nintendo, but yeah. I still expect it. <coughs> and I hope for it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hire anyway. more people, Game Freak. Let's talk about something else and get 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 to the show. Okay. Somewhere. Okay. Somewhere. Okay. Welcome to the Get Get a Job Show. That's Ken. <laughs> I'm Job. Today we're talking about Danny DeVito's gross ass being in a Batman movie. Boy, are we ever! What a what a fun movie that is. Oh, I love it. It's uh. I almost like it more than 89. God, I don't, but I <laughs> but I, I kind of see what you mean. Let's just talk about that later. I don't, I don't want to even say a damn thing. Okay, all right. We'll just get to that later. Um, What are we talking about this week? Well, first, we have decade shit. Yeah. Wait, what did we even do last week? I think we just talked about video games of 2019. Right. So what are we talking about video games of the decade? We can do video games, movies, and music. You pick one. Let's switch gears and then go back to video games. That's what I'm that thinking. Way we're not just talking about video games twice in a week. Right, I'm, I'm, I feel we're it. still going to talk about video games, I assume, because podcast about uh, things that neckbeards like. Right. Um, but <laughs> um, what do you what do you want to talk? About? Music? You got a music list? I got a music list. I got a music list. It's too big. Right. Too mine's, big music. Mine's very small. I got to turn my phone down. Yeah, do that, dude. Come on. The Wilhelm scream. How long have you been I doing this? I downloaded a dedicated app that Wilhelm screams. When I drop my phone. But doesn't work. No, well, because uh, I dropped my phone in a toilet once and saved it, so my phone doesn't work properly. <laughs> like, it kind of half works. Uh, but hey, 
Uh, good on the LG Stylo 2 for being durable enough to <laughs> survive a toilet drop. Yeah, man, I can't afford a new phone right now. Fuck you. We're about to go to war with Iran. I, I don't know. I don't need a new phone right now. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> All right, so music. Yes. Of the decade. Decade. I got a list. Do you got a list? I do. Now, your list is shorter than mine. My list is infinitely shorter than yours. It's only 10. Right. <coughs> now, I I posted the entirety of this list on my Twitter that I will say. So if you want to see that, you can look at that. I'm at Genhart, all caps, and it's all in, in, in all caps. Get it? Uh, I think that's linked on our Gen and Jub show Twitter. It is. I'll retweet it on the Twitter anyway, because we're talking about it on this anyway. Yeah. I'll just use that to look up my uh, my placements and stuff, because I think that'll be more accurate than anything I have written down. <laughs> but uh, what is yours? Did you just do a top ten? I did just do a top ten. You want me to go first, because mine's quick? Yeah, dude. All right, I'll, so I got, I'll discuss whether those are on mine or not, all that crap. I got ten albums on here. We'll albums? start. We'll start with number ten, and we'll work our way up up. Okay, so number 10. Of the decade. We got Veteran by JPEG Mafia. Ooh. Now, uh, this should be on mine. It should be. I think it's outside of the top 50, though. Oh, okay. I like JPEG Mafia a lot, but um, inconsistent in terms of what I want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, sure. But he's fun as hell. Yeah, I like I like the really, like, like rhymy, fucking weird-ass beats that he makes. Yeah. Um, I like his I like his rapping style. Um, he also sings a little bit, and that's always fun. He's got an interesting voice, and um, goddamn, some of the shit he talks about is funny as fuck. He's talented. He's funny, and he's weird as shit. It's perfect um, for me, <laughs> right? And so, and then Veteran's definitely the best album he's made. He released an album this year that's also really well. Last year, now, which is also really good. Yeah, that's on my favorite. One of my favorite albums of last year, the twenty nineteen, right? Yeah, but Veteran's a better album than that, and one of my favorites of the decade. Number nine is Run the Jewels 2 by Run the Jewels. Okay. Which is one of the uh, one of the albums that brought me hardcore back into hip-hop when it came out. Because like, at the time, I was basically only listening to Kanye West. And then... And I, I I liked a lot of older hip hop growing up because my my mom's a, a fan of like of hip hop too like older stuff. Yeah, sure. And so I I grew up listening to that stuff and I liked it a lot and I also liked Will Smith a lot as a kid for some reason. And White then, kid, ooh. Yeah. And then uh, and then I fell out of hip hop for a while. Didn't listen to shit for a long time. And then um, one of my friends showed me Run the Jewels too, and it blew my mind. How you listened to this before one, then? I did. Okay. I think a lot of people did. I think they really exploded with this one. Yeah, absolutely. Not that, like, one wasn't a big deal. Right. I have all three, I think, in my top 50, mm-hmm. which I wrote, and I'll say in a bit. I have all three on vinyl. They're good albums, man. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for four. Coming out this coming year. this decade. Yep, this year. Uh, God, I hope. <laughs> it's what they keep saying. Hopefully this year. Keep saying it's going to be the early part of this year, too. Oh, man, so. I hope so. I think we're going to hear about it soon. And goddamn, are they fucking good. Killer Mike and LP. Uh, two artists who I also love on their own. Um, yeah. Come together for a fucking wild-ass, hard-fucking combo. And it sounds so good, and it tastes so good. 
Ew. I love it. Now I don't like this album. Good. I hope you hate I'm it. I'm just kidding. I love this album. That's their best album. That's yeah. their best work. Absolutely. At least so far. Yeah, absolutely. I love Run the Jewel 3, but it's nowhere near as good as 2. Yeah. I, I, I would say so. Yeah. Number eight, Oxnard by Anderson Pack. That's a good album. Yeah, I love this album. It's That's my not in my top fifty. It's my summer album, fam. Well, this album came out came out during the summer, and the two years ago, and I fucking bopped that shit for literally all three months of the summer, and then this year, and then twenty nineteen, I did it again. <laughs> it is such a like, it's such just like an upbeat fucking like rhythmic ass album. Anderson Pack's talented as fuck. Love his singing voice. His drumming's real good, good. He's just a champ. And it, I don't know, just creates a really good, like, fun, feel good ass album with some good themes in it, too. And I can't stop bumping it when it's nice out. Only when it's nice out. Okay, let's do it now. Nope. Bad out. Well, actually, tomorrow might be all right. Yeah. Because uh, we have bipolar weather here right now. It's We're like, in the Northeast. It's like, uh, it's like 12 degrees, then it's like 60. Right. I hate it. It makes me want to die. My sinuses yeah. freak out every time. <laughs> Number seven is The Money Store by Death Grips. Oh, hell yeah. That's in mine. For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Death Grips is the shit. Uh, not for everyone. <laughs> no, definitely not for everyone. <laughs> but who cares? First time I listened to Death Grips, my first reaction was, what the fuck is this dude saying? I love it. Uh, <laughs> and then I just kept yeah, listening to them. Me too, but then I didn't care because it went hard as shit. Yeah. So I didn't... I, I, fuck you. Do, Do you, you care look- what the death metal man is saying? Right. No. We look this it up better later. better than death metal. Though. Oh, yeah. You uh, look it up later and you're like, huh. That's dumb as fuck. And like, that's... A, a lot of it is really intelligent and fucked up. Yeah. Um, Money Store in particular has uh, got some really fucking grody fucked up it's gross sometimes dude i don't know it's fucking i mean if you couldn't judge from the album cover (laughs) like this is not a pleasant tale (laughs) yeah (laughs) but this album spends basically the entirety of its runtime just fucking punching you in the nose yeah and i'm like give me more of it give me more of it and then it does and so now i when the kids are getting out of school i drive by them and blast hustle bones out of my car No, you don't. I've done it a couple times. Oh, well, that's fine. Kids need it. I think they do, yeah. yeah. Number six is uh, something that's kind of like a hard turn from everything else on my list. It's uh, Periphery 2 by Periphery. Okay. Um, I like... I, I'm spread out pretty well across genres, and I like a lot of different kind of music. I like metal, too. I like I like some death metal, like heavy metal, all that shit. Um, Periphery's a gent band and is definitely not for everybody. It's corny. It's fucking, it's, uh, rhythmically, a lot of the songs follow the same style, but then there's, like, good variations on them that make them fun to listen to. Um, it's just good, like, bop music. Good, like, just headbanging fucking, like, thrash, a little bit thrashy. Sure. Um, I really love the vocalist of the band. Who does both the screaming and singing? Uh, his voice is incredible. I think he's one of the best uh, of those kind of like combo singers that right. do both the screamy and the singy. Yeah, no, his because that's a hard uh, balance. Yeah, and he does great at have. both ends of it. And uh, I, I like the instrumentation a lot. 
it's uh, it may sound just like regular Genty shit, but like you break it down and it's really cool how they put everything together. And I don't know, I, f- I fell in love with that album in particular. I think the rest of Periphery stuff is okay. I think two is their best work. It's their most cohesive yeah, package. Four album, five album. They have five albums. Okay. Now. Yeah, and uh, I think the, their second one is definitely the most cohesively put together package, with the best like variation in songs and like their best songs in general. I, need to uh, I think it's a really good album. Free, but in my opinion, there was better metal and rock. I think second. so too. Well, I mean, yeah, you do have a couple more, but I'm just saying, like, even like, and I have a fifty list here. Right. They ain't there. That's nope. fine. There's I don't too know. much music, though. It's like, hard to explain why. If you're not in my 50 yeah. list, it doesn't mean you're bad. Right. Because I separated things into tiers, and S and A are sampled in the top 50, but it still goes, like, deep. I made a big list. For for memes at the end, I'll tell you what's in my F tier. Because that's a... Uh, that's a nice meme. That's some good albums right there. <laughs> right. Um, after that is number five, Plastic Beach by Gorillaz. This is high on my list, spoilers, because gorillas are the shit. Yeah. Um, or at least were. Yeah, uh, I'd say were. I, I hope that they can regain some footing, because uh, uh, I, I really don't like demons. I really don't like, uh, uh, what the fuck was the name of their newest album? I don't know, I forget. Who cares? I didn't like it. Okay. It was bad. It was better than demons. I guess. It had that one song on it. You know. I don't. <laughs> The music video with Jack Black in it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I, it was I fun. I don't know. But Plastic Beach is a really fun fucking album. Yeah. It's got a ton of really cool guest talent on it. It's fucking... It's got like this, this beachy vibe to it. That was back when Gorillaz knew how to use guests right. to their strengths. And uh, every single one knocks it out of the park. Um, I There's not a single song on there that doesn't shine. Yeah. brighter than anything else in their entire catalog. Yeah, I think so. Um, like, Not to say that Gorillaz and Demon Days aren't good, but uh, damn. Did Bleeds... Did Plastic Beach is different. Right, this album just like bleeds personality, and that's what I love so much about it. It has this, it has this very distinct personality, very distinct theme. They stick to it, and they have a shit ton of fun with it. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about that album. And it bops hard as fuck. Yeah, dude. What's your what's your favorite song on Plastic Beach? Oh God, probably Empire Ants. That's a good choice. I, I love I love how that album just divulges into the greatest bop. <laughs> Empire Ants is really good. That might be my favorite too. But I don't know. Super fast jellyfish is uh, it's kind of a meme. Oh, it's so fun though. But yeah, it's like the funnest song on the album. It is. It's still. the most fun for sure. I love it. They threw a they 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 chucked a coin in uh in in Snoop Dogg's hat, so he uh, went into the feature for them. <laughs> That's all he needed to do. But like I'm said, like like he makes like the best Snoop Dogg song that he probably made this decade on right. the track. Like, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, like I, I'm, it's good. Yeah, it's I really miss good. Snoop Dogg. Me too. Make music that good, please. You can do it. I know you did one time. You don't just have to show up on every album, including the Corey Feldman one, just because they gave you money, Snoop. They flipped. A, they, they grabbed a quarter and they flicked it and then landed in his hat and he was like, "All right." Oh. He's doing commentary for the NBA now. <laughs> All right. Lakers games. You know what? Fuck it. That's fine. It's fun, actually. I don't know. It's really fun, actually. 
because he actually knows shit about basketball. So it's really, really fun. All right. All right. Number four is uh, Currents by Tame Impala. I was just listening to that album the other day. What uh, a fucking I can't stop ass. listening to that album. I haven't since the day it came out. It's fascinatingly simple, but complex at the same time. Yeah. I know that's like a cliche to even say, but... Uh, I think it did, did, but that defines it It really is well. just an album made by one dude. Yeah. Uh, doesn't sound like it. No. <laughs> uh, really takes me back to like older 70s heavy synth kind of... Yeah, that's kind of what it resembles. Yeah. yeah. Big, a little bit of a divergence for Tame Impala that they made... Um, sort of similar music, but nothing that went like this kind of like weird and yeah. synthy. Beforehand, they were a little bit more rocky. Uh, this album slaps pretty well. Give me old slappy slap. Got got slappy bass in it a lot. Bass good. Less I know the better. Got that bass. That's that's a that's that's a good bass riff. That's mm-hmm. a really good bass riff. Really cool. A lot of really great riffs in the song. A lot of a lot of great. Uh, I like the lyricism in it a lot. It's just it's kind of bass line, but like I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. It's so simple sad. that like uh, on Let It Happen, there's a part where he doesn't have lyrics. He just sings nonsense. Yeah, and then he just left that in because he was like, "Ah, it sounds good." And like normally that would be lazy, but it works. I, I don't know. I can't fault him for saying it worked. Right. Um, I think Let It Happen is my favorite song on that album. I agree. Uh, it has such a strong opening. I mean, not that the rest of it isn't good, but. In my opinion, it was hard to top that opening song because that one was just like so fucking mwah. It was mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it was fantastic. You haven't listened to it. Listen to it, please. That's on mine for sure. So far, ours are like, you know, there's similarities at least. Right. Um, number three is uh, Good Kid Mad City by Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar. That's definitely on there. Now, is this the highest Kendrick album? I'm it is assuming? for okay. me. So um, I, I definitely put another one. That you could probably guess what it is higher than this. Yeah. So originally, I had this and Tempo Butterfly swapped. Yeah. And I didn't put Tempo Butterfly on this list just because I wanted some diversity on it. That's fair. Because I would have lined this thing with like two Connie albums and like two Kendrick albums and like. Sure. I wasn't gonna do it. Sure. And I didn't. I don't want to have a little bit of diversity. Think of other artists to throw on here, because there's a lot of stuff that I like just about the same as each other. Which is basically all this list is, besides one album. <laughs> but anyway, Good Kid, Mad City, uh, I think is one of the coolest conceptish albums in this of this decade, besides one. I, I know what your number one is. I think. Yeah. I think it's also probably mine. I'll have to recheck. Mm-hmm. But uh. Yeah, good. Good Kid, Mad City is great. I it's just fantastic. think that the uh, experimentation on "To Pimp a Butterfly" piques my interest more. See what, what I think. What edged out for me is there's there are a, little, a couple little elements of "To Pimp a Butterfly" that I don't like. Um, I do though. I can understand how some people could not like them though. Yeah, it was just like I don't know, like the 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 fucking the talking skinny segments were just him talking to I forget the guy's name. Um, the Tupac. No, 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 there's... <laughs> no, no, not the Tupac shit. No, that's great. On, on... on. Are you talking about the Pippa Butterfly? Yeah. He's only talking to Tupac. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Okay, what are you talking about then? No, um... No, like, the ends of the songs. 
on on to Pimper Butterfly. There's like the the segments. Um, I'm trying to word this out better. I don't like the way a lot of the songs end on to Pimper Butterfly. Is what I'm trying to say. They all like slow down and then kind of revert back up into the next song like that with like like kind of like quieter segments and stuff like that. I don't get this criticism because Good Kid, Mad City does the same exact shit. Not quite. It does forward the narrative, right? And I and I and I kind of like how they're utilized and, more, right? But Kendrick's saying lines from his poem or statement that he says to Tupac in its entirety at the end of the album, which is that's great. I like how it comes it together forward. like that is cool. I also feel like what he says ends up being the perfect segue into the next song every single time. It see, works completely well in my opinion. Yeah, see, but I, in both cases, I love both of these albums. I think it flows better in Good Kid Mad City. Is is kind of like I I put these albums at just about the same for me, right? I think Good Kid Mad City flows a little bit better. It's all I'm really trying to say. <laughs> mm. I, I don't know. I think they're both packed I think it's to the a mood point for me because I love both of these. Yeah, albums me so too. Much. I know. I just, they're, um, they're packed to the brim with like ten out of ten songs, and yeah. like they're fucking. They're both incredible. I just like I said. I just think Good Kid Mad City flows a little bit better. That's all. Yeah. That's why I have it above it, and and it has like a couple of my favorite songs, my country on it, and then uh. But we'll get past that. What's the best song in that album then, Justin? <sighs> it's gotta be Swimming Pools, right? My favorite is Money Trees. Money Trees. I think that's an underrated as fuck. It's really song. good though. Uh amazing J Rock feature. Yeah, absolutely. That uh that that song is fantastic. Uh <laughs> Good Kid Massey, great. It's great, it's fantastic. That's why it's number three. Um number two? Is uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Our friend Mark Toth once called it Our Generation's Moon Landing. <laughs> That's quite a statement. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this album has a Kanye West that uh, right before he gets really fucking dumb and, uh, well, more dumb. Yeah, I was about to say. And hits like a stride of absolute glamour. And it's shit. It like translates to the album, and it's fucking wild. My beautiful dark twist fantasy is an experience. Um, yeah, that kind of displays to you how far Kanye has blown up in his own head, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating that it works in a like. No matter how you feel about Kanye, right? That album kind of works because, yeah. like, even if you come out of it thinking of him in a negative light, which, like, sometimes I do, absolutely. Uh, He's an idiot. You can, <laughs> you still are kind of awed by the talent on display, effortlessly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, That's a- and also some of the best features of the entire decade. Yeah, just on reside that on that thing. Uh, yeah. Nicki Minaj's career being <clears throat> created, and also never topped. That's the best Nicki Minaj verse. Yeah, ever. You know, I, I don't, I don't hate Nicki Minaj or anything, but she never even came close to that monster verse, ever. Really like diverse. I think new the body. only bad feature on that is oddly enough Jay Z on the same song. Yeah. Uh, I. Jay Z, it's a metaphor. You don't have to actually describe a monster, Jay Z. Come on, man. 
fucking weird. But it doesn't distract because that song is still like amazing. No, it's even incredible. With it, every single song of this album is incredible. And what I think is, uh, and it has a song that I think is Kanye's masterpiece, which is "Runaway." Runaway is great. All the lights is my favorite song on that album. Um, it's beautiful. Oh, the fucking the production on that song is godlike. Run Runaway is just um, raw emotion yeah. delivered through auto tune, which is a, a bizarre choice that shouldn't work, but does. It works like a charm. <laughs> Kanye got to put it through auto-tune. I don't know. He just does. What are you going to do? That album's definitely high for me. Like, I feel like regardless of how you feel about Kanye, I, I really don't necessarily trust you if you say he's a bad artist. Because you yeah. can't. You can't say that. It's hard to do. Um, The breadth of his work is... You can't ignore it. Yeah. You can't say he sucks just because he made... Like, Jesus is king, or just because he said something stupid. He says stupid stuff all the time. I'll give you that one. But he's a fucking genius when it comes to making music no, and what sounds yeah. good. Mm-hmm. He's, he's amazing at it. Even with Jesus is king, which I think is a bad album, uh, it still has some, some moments of great production. Yeah. It just seems like he's rushing something out in a week and isn't even trying and fucking just comes out good sounding somehow. He's really good at what he does. Yeah. And he put a Herculean amount of effort into making this album. You, you, the, you look back on like hearing Kanye talk about it all and like the days he spent just sheltered in his fucking studio, just grinding shit out with people and crazy. And it shows. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. I, I think he needs to make another not 20 minute long album. Yeah, I think so because too. I think he shines more when it's like this grandiose experience although the exception to that rule is Kid See Ghost yeah which in some ways is better than this album it seems like Kid See Ghost has been been being worked on for a long time though yeah Kid See Ghost also partially works because it's so short yeah so maybe it's the exception to prove the rule I don't know (laughs) I'm not Um, but that's also not even solely a Kanye thing that's Kanye and Kid Cudi yeah making the comeback of the decade yeah, I agree. Before Kanye just decided not to. Even though that's not on here, because once again, I didn't want to put Kanye multiple times. That's fine. It'll be on mine. We could talk about it a bit then. Yeah. My number one album, um, an album that really struck a chord with me when I first listened to it, and I've listened to it pretty much on repeat ever since then, is Undone by the Roots. Yep, I was assuming that. Um, that's probably the hip-hop album of the decade for me, if not the album of the decade for me. Yeah, it's my album of the decade for sure. It's... It's the best, the most well-made and like cohesive like concept album, yeah, I think, in hip-hop in general. Um, on top of that, it sounds so good. It follows a really good formula, sticks to it for most of the album, but makes every single song that's on that formula sounds amazing with some pretty damn good features and some fucking an incredible instrumentation and production. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's really similar to Good Kid, Mad City. Yes. Um, but I think it, honestly, is better than it in several ways. I think so, too, yeah. Um, the storytelling and the lyricism are so on point and so focused, and the narrative of this young black man that gets shot and killed is told in reverse, and it makes it 
even more fucked up. Yeah. Because uh, you go from the gunshot at the beginning to every moment of his life leading up to it in reverse. And then it ends with like this decidedly not hip-hop segment of like four songs yeah. that are just sad orchestral kind of tracks. Yeah. And they're brilliant. They, they're, they're incredible. They're so good. Um, lots of simple but incredible beats. Questlove is a fucking god when it comes to that shit. Um, I just think it's completely underrated. I don't hear a lot of people talk about this album. I, yeah, I don't get it either. If you know that the Roots are a good band, this is their best album for easy, sure. Easy. This is their crowning achievement, I think. Yeah, I agree. Nothing else comes close. Um, I wish they would stop being on the Jimmy Fallon show and making music again. Although I'm sure they, you know, they're making well-deserved bank. They they released an sure. album while they were on the Jimmy Fallon show. They did, but it wasn't nearly as good. No, it wasn't. Um, it was okay. It's funny as fuck. Has some sometimes. good songs on there. Uh, I just hope that they're able to come out with something else, even close to this again. I hope so too. I wish. We'll see. They have. I mean, they had some amazing albums before then, but they did. Nothing tops this, in my opinion. Like, nothing this decade. I, I put a lot of um, focus on whether an album can flow well and whether an album can manage to pull off the admittedly hard feat of telling a full, thought-out story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really hard to do, especially in our generation right now, where everything's kind of designed to be in a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Uh and not really designed to be experienced in a order, in a structure, yeah. Necessarily, it's it's beautiful in a lot of ways to hear, and unique to hear an album that's like front to back has something to say. And if you take parts out of it, it still works. But if you leave them in, it works way better. Yeah. Uh, that album's amazing. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite song of it? Uh, other side. Other side's the shit. Mine changes all the time right now. It's Sleep. sleep? The second track off the okay. album. Okay. Yeah. They're all fucking There's incredible. There's not a bad song. They're all incredible. I don't know. In particular, those first, like, six or seven tracks are so damn good. But that's more than half of the album. Right. That's most of the album. <laughs> Uh, Alright, let's get into mine. Yeah, oh now, boy. Now, this is long, so I'm not gonna expand upon every single one. Yeah. If you wanna say something about them, say it, and then we'll move on. Okay. Because um, a lot of my thoughts I already said for your top ten anyway. Right. For some albums. Uh, I'm still listening to a ton of music, and I always will be. There's bands that I've missed out on. I, I can't listen to everything. Right. And I'll, I'll say this for movies as well. I can't watch everything. I haven't watched The Irishman yet. Will that be in my top 50 movies? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I just watched Knives Out, like, last week. And, like, I'm considering bumping something out to put that in the top 50. But that hurts me in my soul to do. (laughs) Uh, All right. Number 50. Queens of the Stone Age. Like Clockwork. 
Great album. Really good album. Yeah. Great metal album. Uh, their album after that is not as good. Nope. But I always like Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. Uh, number 49, Muse, The Second Law. I, I feel like this is probably one that people would argue with me about. There are some people that hate this album. I think it's okay. I love this album. It's the last great Muse album. I agree. Because <laughs> it's straight drones. I just, I just think it's got a couple hiccups on it that I don't... I, I dig it a lot. Um... But I like I maybe like more Muse than some people. Yeah, definitely do more than Muse me. isn't for everybody. No, not for for sure not. Number forty eight, Iron Maiden, The Book of Souls. Maiden mm. Maiden constantly mm. impresses me with being able to mm. still put out music that is equal caliber to their classic catalog. What what classic rock band does that? I don't know, dude. None of them. I because fucking, they don't. I, I that album came out and I was like, all right, time to re- time. I'm ready to listen to a shitty Maiden album. And then like, I was like, holy fuck. The only, there's only like two shitty Maiden albums. I know, maybe four. Uh, and and two of those don't have uh your lead singer, right? At all. No, so. the one they released before the Book of Souls, just like what, usually like six years ago or whatever. Yeah, was also really good. So you just like yeah. don't stop making good music, I guess. It's not in my top fifty, but that's still like an excellent album. Final right. Frontier. Yeah. Uh, it has one of my favorite Maiden songs on it. Uh, mm-hmm. When the Wild Wind Blows. Yeah, that, that song's great. All right. Number 47, Andrew W.K., You're Not Alone. This is like a self-help rock opera delivered by the party man himself. It makes you feel good. Uh, it does. It do. That's, that's a good album for when you're feeling down. You don't feel quite so down. You feel understood. <laughs> Uh, because he uses party as a metaphor. <laughs> Love that man. Uh, hope he makes music until he's a hundred. I don't care. Yeah, I don't mean to, but I hope he can re- maintain that energy. I don't know if he can do it or not. Uh, number forty six. Mr. Neil Cicerega enters the fray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with his band Lemon Demon, uh, Spirit Phone. Love this album. It's like uh. If Devo still made albums, mm-hmm. but also were maybe even weirder than they already are, uh, there's songs about ghosts and spooks and Ronald Reagan. Yeah, and, there is. <laughs> and they're all jams, but they're all like funny, but but not badly made. Not at all. Neil, Neil is super talented and appears on this list a couple more times. Uh, in a very sarcastic, but I think equally listenable to manner. Yes. <laughs> uh, 45 and 44 are both Tyler the Creator, and I could switch these. I don't know. I feel differently constantly. We got Igor and Scumfuck Flower Boy. I think Flower Boy is better. Me too. But I think Igor is more of a complete package. Uh but they're both really good. They're both uh, Tyler has really impressed me this decade by embracing something new and different and coming out on the other side better than he's ever been. Yeah. Uh, I've liked Tyler even through the edgy phases, but this is... I prefer this. Absolutely. Any day, I will take I will take a flower boy over a wolf. Any day. Number 43, I just dissed Jay-Z, but I can't diss 444 because that Ooh. album was amazing. Uh, that might be... His like third best album, and he and it came out fairly recently, two years uh, ago, right? I think Jay Z's far from being done. Which we need more of this and less 
uh, Holy Grail or whatever that bad album was. Yeah. Uh, 444 is great. Story of OJ is like possibly the best song he's ever made. I'm being dead serious. Oh, that, Love that song. That beat is fucking nuts. It's even... it's. <laughs> It's maybe even better when Pusha T is dissing people behind oh it. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I almost because I almost made this like a list of my favorite songs, and like I think that might have been in there. Oh that Pusha diss. You didn't have to kill him, Push. Damn. Fuck. Uh, number forty-two. Oh, that's right. Kendrick's on here four times for me. Kendrick Lamar's "Damn." I realize this is uh, an album that you either love or hate. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe not hate. I don't think you hate Dan. I don't hate it. It's I just, just not nearly as good for you. It's right. not nearly as good for me either, but I still think there's, like, even Kendrick, when he's off a little bit, is still better than most people. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I and agree this with is, that This statement. is proof of that, because uh, Dan still has some of his best songs in his entire career. I just wish there was more of, like, a cohesive point or story to it all. Maybe, like... if helped him to strip away some of that because it's got to be like hard well i'm sure it was really difficult to make those two to, albums to come out with good kid mad city and then to pimp a butterfly right next to it yeah damn still great uh 41 a tribe called quest's final album we got it from here thank you for your service yeah that's another weird one. I see people dunk on that one all the time, and it's I strange don't understand to me. why. It's a Tribe Called Quest album. It's very Tribe. It sounds like there are other ones. I think it's. I think it's one of the best like send offs you could do for an, a group like that. Yeah. As an album, like it's really, really good. There's nothing they could do about it. Fife Dog passed away. Rest in peace. And right. yeah, and then they made an album about it. <laughs> it jams. I don't know. It slaps. It's old school hip hop sounded. I mm-hmm. like it. Uh, number forty, completely different. Broken social scene. Forgiveness rock record. Yeah, I think this is possibly their best album, I or at so. least maybe most consistent. Because Broken Social Scene is a band that I don't always love, but this album is like above and beyond just fantastic. Yeah, uh, love the features. Uh, Emily Haynes from Metric. Yes, on she, a bunch of tracks. she shows up in Broker Social Scene all the time. Yeah. And thank God for it. It's, it's always better, usually, when she shows up. Uh-huh. Um, number 39, an album from uh, last year, Billie Eilish, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Good album. It's a good album. Good album. Uh, Great debut. I think so. This is also... An album that a lot of people shit on because I don't know she didn't know the Boomer Band or whatever. Look, let me tell you something. I wish I didn't know who Van Halen I, was. Same. <laughs> now look, I don't know. I'm not gonna dunk on Van Halen too much. We all go through a phase where we like Boomer Rock. If you're named Zach Genhart, but you don't have to keep doing that. You could just listen to other shit too. Uh, I think Billie Eilish is fairly, very impressive. Yeah. For being a 17-year-old putting out this music. I know there's a lot of help from her brother. You know, she's an industry plant. But, like, uh, who gives a shit? So is everybody. Who isn't an industry plant? Right, they all Name me one person. Hobo Johnson? Yeah, you might be right. But other than that... (laughs) But that's why he's not really successful. No. I mean, he is, but not entirely. Not as successful as Billie Eilish. No, she, like, she showed up out of nowhere... And blew up. And I don't know. 
I like how dark and weird it is. It almost feels like a throwback to a more emo generation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which isn't necessarily where we're at now, but I think it still fits. It's not like things got less depressing no. in the world. In fact, they might have gotten more depressing. Uh, she's great. Uh, I'm expecting better things from her in the future, too. I think she can do it. Yeah, absolutely. But better than that album this year was an album from Charlie XCX called yeah. Just Charlie. Uh, that was Anthony Fantano's number one album this year. I disagree, but the album, I think, is better than it. It's higher on this list, and yeah. he also put it on his list. It's so good. Um, Charlie XCX uh, makes like the future of pop music here. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, it feels like it. It's cool that it comes at the tail end of the decade, because maybe this decade will sound a bit like this album. I can at least see it going in that direction. Maybe yeah, not. Yeah, me too. I it's mean, hard to predict trends, but yeah. this is an album that takes a lot of trends and takes them to insane, weird conclusions while still maintaining its status as a pop album that's yeah. listenable by many people. There is one song on there that's really weird, and I can't tell if I hate or like it, which is called Shake It. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, that song fucking weird. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, I think it's a little too much for me. I appreciate how weird it is. Sometimes you gotta have just... just Throw it out there and see if it works. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Um, but that song has so many bops on it. Um, I like pop music. I don't care. Yeah, me too. Uh, hate me if you will. And pop music's... There is can be good music of any genre. Shut the fuck up. For sure. 36. Danny Brown Atrocity Exhibition. Uh, what a disgusting album. I hate it. Number 36 on my top 50 <laughs> yeah. albums of the deck. Keep going. That's it. <laughs> That's fine. I don't know. Danny Brown's a talented man. Uh, number 35, a man who used to be talented. Oh. Take that. Justin Timberlake, the 2020 experience. Yeah, you're correct. Um, I, I wish I wasn't. I really wish I wasn't, but like, man! Yeah, especially because of how good that album was. <sighs> 2020 experience is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a throwback while still embracing everything that Justin Timberlake is about. Fantastic song after fantastic song, many of which have like two phases to them. Uh, like, oh, the songs on that album are so fucking long. They're yeah. twice as long as most songs that you would expect from a pop artist. And they all earn their length by being incredible for every second. Uh, I really, really wish he could go back to this and regain some of what I feel he lost because Man of the Woods sucks. It's just straight up. It's garbage. It just sucks. And um, I don't know. His wife's an anti-vax piece of shit. And he probably is too. Ugh. So that sucks. Ugh. Ugh. Yuck. But I will always love this album. Me too. We it's love great. you, Justin. <laughs> I was an sync person. Did you hear it? Yeah. That was my impression. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Justin hates this show. <laughs> yeah, I do. Speaking of which, uh, number 34, Neil Cicerega. <laughs> Mouth Sounds. <laughs> Mouth Sounds is an album. Um, anyway, number 33. <laughs> nah, I don't know. What, what do you say about the Neil Cicerega mashup albums? Uh, they are a expertly crafted set of mashups that 
most of the time you wouldn't expect. Shit posting is art. Right. <laughs> Basically, because the majority of those songs sample All Star by Smash Mouth. And he m- turns them into other songs or mixes them with other songs. And then makes other unholy concoctions like uh, combining the Beatles' Let It Be with the Black Eyed Peas' I'm a Bee. <laughs> and, like, it's... It's like criticizing pop culture by destroying it yeah, completely. It <laughs> Which therefore makes it art. It is. I, I can't help but stand in awe of it. Uh, now, the one problem with Mouth Sounds is it's not nearly as listenable as the other two albums, so bookmark that. Number 33, Carly Rae Jepsen, Dedicated. She'll appear higher on this list as well. Dedicated is really good. Came out 2019, one of my favorite albums from that decade. Carly's really great at what she does. Uh, wow, a white person that likes Carly Rae Jepsen. Who would have thought that? Ella Mayo. Uh. But she puts out consistently some of the best pop tracks of all time. Uh, doesn't gain as much radio play as I feel like she should. She makes great songs. Songs that are way better than her one hit yeah. that she had in her career. Uh, effortlessly. Every track on this is amazing and better than Call Me Maybe. Absolutely. Throw Call Me Maybe in the garbage. Please play her other songs. I beg you. Um, 32, Run the Jewels 1. Yeah. Uh, it's still good. Not as good as the other two. But, like I said about Kendrick, that's still better than most other people. They still had the mission statement. And the talent to pull off something great from the get-go. Title track is probably my favorite track on that thing. Run the Jewels by mm. Run the Jewels is a great song. Yes, I love is. when a band has their first album be named the band and the first song is that as well. That doesn't happen as often as I'd like it to. Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath from the album Black Sabbath. Woo! And it's like one of their best songs. So I good. love when that happens. Uh, 31. Meliora by Ghost. I hope I pronounced that right. This is the best Ghost album. Yeah, it's Ghost really is fantastic. You look at a Ghost album cover, you're like, ooh, that sounds like it's going to sound like, that looks like it's going to sound like Cannibal Corpse. And then you put it on your in your headphones and you go, ooh, actually this sounds like Scooby-Doo Chase music. Ooh, uh, I'm surprised. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> That's an excellent description of Ghost. <laughs> But then, like, you hear some metal riffs, and you're like, ooh, we could do both of these things at the same time? Okay. Ooh, he's saying some backwards Latin. Is Satan entering my home? But we're still running around through the revolving doors of the Scooby-Doo chase music? Okay. I dig this. That's Ghost. This is easily their best album. Start Mm -hmm. here if you think you might be into it. One of the best metal bands around currently in my opinion number 30 a band that i thought ended that last decade but ended up not being the case as they're they're back now and i hope they make an album my chemical romance with danger days yeah uh, a lot of people say that this album is not their best to which i say it's not that's probably black parade but this one's really good you guys just have to listen to it People hate this one. Why do people hate this one? Danger Days fucking slaps. There's so many good songs on this thing. They bring so much energy. It's just different from the more emo phase they went through. I don't know. 
Loved Ancient Days. I love all the music videos and the crazy crap. Grant Morrison ass fucking shit. 29. Uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Murder of the Universe. This is a weird ass album. It is very I love weird. this album though. It's one of my favorites from them. Uh, I That's probably not a sentiment shared by many. But uh, weird spoken word stories accompanied by King Gizzard music. Uh, they all tell fantastical kind of mythological stories. Uh, except for the last one. That's about like a computer that gets sick and dies or something like that. Something I like don't that. know. Who cares? It's fun. <laughs> because then they just come on and they go vomit coffin. Dun, 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 so shit fucking rules, dude. It does. Slaps. Even. <laughs> 28. Anamanaguchi, Endless Fantasy. Uh, they make this a good some good-ass, 8-bit-ass sound and rock music. Um, this one experimented a little bit more with pop. I appreciated it. Yeah, I think it plays off well. 27. Neil Ciceriga again with Mouth Silence. This is the sequel, although he said it's a prequel because he is a meme person, but... Uh, the, the gimmick here is Mouth Silence does not use Smash Mouth whatsoever, but it's still mashup songs. Uh, some of his best works are found on that thing. It's hilarious the first time you listen to it. It's hilarious the 30th time you listen to it. Neil knows what he's doing when it comes to being probably one of the funniest people on the internet. And that's all I gotta say about that guy. Fair Except enough. until later when he shows up again. Oh, shit. 26, Kanye West shows up. Hey, it's Yeezus. Yeezus is great. I was really down on Yeezus the first several times I listened to it, but uh, it's grown on me over the decade. I think it's just, it's it's harshly different, but... Yeezy goes industrial. Yeah, but I think he nails it. I think he does a good job. Um, it's not as harsh as something like Death Grips, and it's not as, you know, easy to listen to as another Kanye West album, just any other one. But yeah. uh, I think it makes it unique in his catalog, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I like how chaotic it is. I like how the samples just kind of slap you in the face and then leave. Uh, <laughs> like They're not very flowed into the song. They kind of just happen and then don't happen. <laughs> um, Bound 2 is not my favorite song on that album, <laughs> but I wanted to talk about it briefly. Is that song great because it's bad? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to see if you shared my opinion. That's how I feel about that's, it. I think that's how I feel about it. I think Kanye West entirely wrote that song to be bad on purpose. I can't tell. But that's my theory. <laughs> 25. Purple by Baroness. They uh, This is a metal band that releases albums that are colors. Uh, they released a couple other albums this decade, but... Purple is by and far their best work. Um, Purple's great. If you like rock music or like rock slash metal, I guess it's more rock than metal. Yeah, it's like hard rock. Uh, This is one of the best examples of the genre in this decade. Uh, A a decade that sorely lacked it, in my opinion. What are you doing? Listening to Greta Van Fleet? Get the fuck out of here. Listen to Baroness or Periphery or something, you idiot person. God. Jesus Christ, Greta Van Fleet makes you want to puke. And uh, number 24, Foo Fighters, Wasting Light. This is the last good Foo Fighters album. No. I'm just dunking on the people I like and putting my top 50. 
I'm sad. <laughs> Foo Fighters are great, but the thing about the Foo Fighters is they usually struggle to have a cohesive, every song on the album is good kind of album. Yeah. And they usually just put out an album where, like, yeah, there's a couple hits. It's a couple solid songs, and they continue having a good career. Solid career. Can't hate them. Can't fault them. But Wasting Light's different because... Whatever hap- whatever magic happened, happened, and we got, like, the best Foo Fighters album. Every track is great. I don't know what happened. It doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. There's, like, two Foo Fighters albums that are worth a damn in that kind of sense. Wasting Light and Color in the Shape. And that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But uh, definitely check that out if you're a fan of the Foo Mans. Number 23, Motion City Soundtrack, My Dinosaur Life. I miss this band. They were good while they lasted. They're coming back. Are they? Yep. Damn. They're on a comeback tour right now. The 2020s are the rebirth era where they bands have I a, thought died come back. They're, they're coming to uh, Cleveland in like two weeks, and I'm thinking about going. Are they done with uh, albums, or are they just... Uh... I don't know yet. Hmm. My Dinosaur Life is fantastic. Uh, simplistic, but really heartfelt pop punk anthems man yeah uh green day wishes green day can't do this now no green day sucks now but it really reminds me of how i felt about like dookie era green day or maybe more like nimrod era green day yeah it's more like melodic it's not as harsh yeah motion city soundtrack i dig it though it's fun 22 radiohead a moon-shaped pool Ooh. That's a spooky-ass album. Really slow. Really haunting. Love it. Uh, Radiohead, again, probably not for everybody. Especially not this era of Radiohead. No, this is is a wonky era of Radiohead we're in now. Um, I don't care, though. It's fantastic. I love... The first time I listened to that album all the way through, I laid down in my bed with my headphones on, my beautiful-ass Sennheiser headset on, and I laid down on my bed and I listened to that shit. That's and the like, best way to listen to that album. Close my eyes. It's like, holy shit. That's not music you dance to. That's, no. not mu- that's not music you bop your head to. That's music you fucking, like, just go, oh. You listen to it and you <laughs> grieve while you're listening to it. Yeah. You that really grieve. adds to the complete picture of that album is the sound of your own thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a rousing endorsement or not, but it's good, I swear. <laughs> 21, something completely different. Pusha T's Daytona, Ooh. one of Kanye West's produced mini-ass albums in the in 2018, I believe. Um, this is not the best of the bunch, but it's still good enough to be all the way up at number 21. Yeah. This is Pusha T's best album. This is the one that Kanye opened up with, too, and dropped this shit. And we were like, ooh! It's a hell of a good start. Yeah. Uh, Daytuna. Daytuna? Daytuna. Daytona! <laughs> Pusha T's best album. Pusha T has bigger albums than this one. This is, like, just 20 minutes, seven short tracks. Right. But I think it manages to be the definitive Pusha T album in that short amount of time, which is crazy. I mean, he does enough times in it. You you understand what he's about. (laughs) (laughs) And he still manages to, um, you know, diss people and give his mission statements on who he is. Yeah. And where he came from and what he do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Great. 
kind of grungy, low-effort rap album that doesn't sound like it. Right. Sound good. Number 20. The late, great David Bowie with his final album, Black Star. Uh, it's a masterpiece. It's one of his best albums. And it has this otherworldly quality to it because he released it, like, literally three days before he died. And that adds an extra amount of weight to every single word that he says on this thing. It's really haunting because, like, it's like he knew he was about to die. Well, he did. Yeah. It's not just like that. He did know Yeah, he knew he was dying of cancer. Yeah. But, like, like, just, like, the timing of it is what gets me. It's spooky. Yeah, it's very spooky. Um, But despite that, it's still a jam. Like, it's hard to separate it from that. You can't. But I think he did it on purpose. The madman. It's art. Lazarus best track. Because that's the most emotional. Easy. Easy. Uh, Let's see here. Number 19. Death Grips with Bottomless Pit. Ooh. Uh, Death Grips is two entries on my top 50. Are both probably the more quote unquote listenable <laughs> Death Grips albums. Yeah, sure. Because uh, they have some stuff that is a little weirder and harsher and harder to listen to. I, I think if you want to start and give Death Grips a try, you go with this or the Money Store. They're both pretty equal in terms of quality to me as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Bottomless Pit. What a jam. 18. The Last Good Weezer album. Weezer, the White Album, from the Weezer. Why Weezer do this? They make a summer bop album and then fuck off again and make yeah. shit. Yeah, they know. made like the best summer bop album of all time. I don't possibly. Think so. I think Oxnard's a better summer bop album. But. Fair enough, but not to me. But I also like I I can't help but be compelled by Weezer, even though I dislike a, like probably more than half of their catalog. Yeah. And and that's weird to me. Because I know that Weezer has talent that they just don't use? Question mark? Or maybe they just struggle to hit the mark. I don't know what it is. Me neither. But I always like I have to listen to every album that they release and then I'm like, eh, that one didn't do it. That one didn't do it. That's not mm, that's probably the worst one they've ever done. Mm, oh wait, this one's actually good. I just don't understand how they do it. I don't know, man. Do you think their next album's gonna be good? Um, it's called Van Weezer. No. <laughs> you got. All, that's all the you got about you one or two more before they make another good one. I can live with that. I guess. I guess you know, Weezer hey. makes their magnum opus this decade. I said that last week. Okay, you did. I hope you're right. I hope it's not Van Weezer. Though. No, <laughs> it won't be weird. Van Weezer. You got. You got. You got a couple more. Oh my god. 17, my favorite album from 2019. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Try on metal for size with Infest the Rat's Nest. Yeah. I love this album. They did such a good job. It is. What a fun concept. A thrash metal album in 2019 with a story. It's a concept thrash album. Uh. These madmen are just able to just 
put on all these different hats and still pull off sounding like King Gizzard. I don't know how they do it. Me neither. Uh, this is it. possibly my favorite King Gizzard album. It's I mine. love this one. It, it's unique in their catalog, but I love the concept so much of this impending doom and, like, fuck rich people as well. It's climate change. LMAO. Climate change destroys the planet and the rich people go to Mars. Yeah. And then they get fucked up because of it. As they well should. Yeah. Fuck you, Elon Musk. <laughs> Your stupid ass car didn't save you from global warming, did it? Burn, motherfucker! <laughs> that's that's so loud, I can see the, <laughs> the audio wave hurts to look at. Oh, no. <laughs> 16. This is the last Neil Cicerega album, I oh, promise. Oh, here we go. Mouth Moods, his magnum opus. Yeah. The best mashup album he's ever made. Uh, clearly, it has to be. Yeah. There's not a track is a wasted joke. Everything is funny. It has Bustin' on it. And Bustin' makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> he is a master at making mashups. No one else has even come close in terms of their quality. I don't know what his secret is. It's probably because he shit posts effortlessly. Everything he's ever made. <laughs> he just, just shit posts God, dude. I don't know. Possibly the funniest person on the internet. I think so. I don't know who compares. John Boyce is a close second. Well, all right. That's fair. That's a fair name to say. <laughs> or 15, Kanye West with The Life of Pablo. There's a big ass on this album this cover. Is, yeah. Mayo. This is the album I was... I almost put in my top 10 anyway. Along with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy because I love it so much. Kanye's on here a lot, man. I, I can't help it. I did not like this album when it first came out. Well, that's the weird thing about this album is that neither did I. But then Kanye put out a day one patch <laughs> he fixed it and fixed it he said he literally said I'm gonna fix wolves and he did the madman I, I don't like the practice of doing this of coming out with a George Lucas special edition of your album and then it replaces that album yeah but this is like the but concept. this one needed it I think in a lot of ways what well, that's like the concept of this album I guess so. He was supposed to fix wolves. Yeah. This is my take on it. Because, like, the whole... it's The whole thing is like a Picasso metaphor, right? And he would, like, always fucking go wild and keep fixing his pieces over and over and over again. He could never make them perfect, and it, like, would drive him insane. And, like... That's really cool, actually. Yeah, and that, I think yeah. that's the idea. In Life of Pablo, he's referencing Picasso, and he's, uh... And so he changes it over and over again. He changed it like six times. He sure did. He ended up making a final version of the album. That's what we have now. And it is the best version of that album, too. Yeah, that's kind of the one that earned its place on this list, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is one of Kanye's best albums, which is hard to say for sure, because he has so many great albums. Yeah, I like... I like how it gets both entirely goofy and off the wall and very personal and deep at the same time. Well, to me, that represents Kanye West. 
yeah. in a nutshell. It does. The dude says some stupid ass shit right next to some of the most beautiful production you've ever heard in your life. All the time. Yeah. Wolves is beautiful, but he still manages to say, it's like you left your fridge open and somebody took a sandwich. <laughs> and like, that's stupid, but somehow it all works. It's like a juxtaposition in and of itself. Right. I like it a lot. Also, <laughs> I laugh my ass off at that Taylor Swift line. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. Damn. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know what you want from me. You're going to be insulted for a celebrity's sake? Who cares? They ain't real people. Fake people? <laughs> uh, maybe. He did do that music video where they all the wax figures naked in the bed. Yeah, that was weird. I, I, I can't say I approve of that, but the song that it was paired with was good. <sighs> Kanye music videos are weird. They are. Not 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 always the best, at least not since the initial like three album era. Anyway, fourteen run the jewels three. I think we discussed run the jewels enough. Yeah, we have. Um, thirteen good kid, Mad City. We discussed that album as well. Twelve currents, Tame Impala. Yep, very good album. Eleven run the jewels two, the best run the jewels album. I it was really hard for me. Like I love three a lot. <coughs> Me too. I just think it was hard like, to choose. Just better than it. But I genuinely think all those albums are better than three, including Run the Jewels 2. And then my top ten. Here we are. Random Access Memories by Daft Punk. Ooh. Where are they? Bring them back so that they can save music once again. Please. Do you think they saved music? Literally give life back to music, please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's plenty of good music, even if Daft Punk doesn't release now. But, like, imagine how good it would be if they did. I agree. I, I don't know. They kind of do this thing where they have just, like, you know, hey, here's our decade album. See you in ten years. See you in ten years. <laughs> so, cross your fingers. <laughs> Maybe 2023. We'll get a Daft Punk album. Uh, Random Access Memories is great because they decided to incorporate, like, 70s funk into their sound. Which is a weird move, but makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Pays off well. The result is incredible. Get Lucky is one of the best bops of all time. Get out of my face if you say anything otherwise, man. Get Lucky is the shit. Number nine, Carly Rae Jepsen, Emotion. Uh, I put Dedicated on this top 50 as well, but Emotion is, in many ways, just far superior. Yeah. Carly's putting out better music than... Most of her contemporaries. And single-handedly, almost, is the best female pop artist out there right now. I I can't think of someone who would maybe compete. Maybe Charlie XCX, but I think we need to give it time on that one. I, I really like that album, but we'll see. Uh... Carly also pulled off like an amazing turnaround on this thing by having genuinely a different sound than what made her popular. It is strange how against the grain this album is while still maintaining being a pure pop album. 
and a damn good one at that. Number eight, Paramore, After Laughter. Paramore changes their sound. Paramore embraces pop, 80s pop, really. Yeah. Uh, and turns out probably one of their best albums, one of my favorite uh, of all time, but certainly of this decade. Uh, I feel like this album probably could have been higher, but there is that one song. Yep. And that one song sucks. I love how this album Turn up the vocals, is uh, incredibly depressing, but is the most upbeat. It plays those polar ends super well. Yes. I love depressing music that doesn't sound depressing. If that makes any sense. <laughs> you, have like a, you have like a beachy guitar beat with like a with like a disco drum and then she's like, I wanna die. <laughs> it's great. She's fantastic. If she's releasing solo music in this decade, I'm I'm extremely looking forward to that. Yeah. Um Haley Williams is great. Uh, if this is the end of Paramore, I don't know, because clearly it has shifted from what it once sounded like, and I don't know who's left in the band or not. Uh, before this album came out, she kicked the other two guys out and brought in two other guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess so. that it's basically just Haley Williams anyway. Right. Uh, all right. <laughs> it's better for it, honestly. I think, I think. so. Yeah. Uh, number seven, uh, Metric Synthetica. Metric is Ooh. fantastic. I wish they were still putting out stuff that's even close to this, but this was their peak. This is the best metric album. Fantasies is also really good too. It's hard to it I mean it's hard to say. That's like a run the jewels three, run the jewels two situation to me. Yeah. Like it's hard I to, agree. Hard to say which one's better on any given day, but I think Synthetica. I like the vibe of Synthetica a little more. Yeah. Metric's one of the best damn modern rock bands of all time. And this album is a treat to listen to. I love the synthesizers. No pun intended. Uh, a Lou Reed song on here? Yeah. That's good shit. More on him later. On a, on a different... On a different end of my music list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Lou. Rest in peace. Six, Plastic Beach by the Gorillas. Five, Money Store by Death Grips. Four, To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Three, now we haven't talked about yet, Kidsy Ghosts. Kidsy Ghosts. Well, we talked about it briefly. Yeah. Um, I love that album so much. Kanye West it and Kid Cudi. It is perfect. Uh, after both of them, both of their most recent albums, I'd say, not living up to expectations. I like Ye, but I don't think it was as good, even though a week later... They're like, here's Kid Seagos. <laughs> well, in that in that instance, like, his, what he's trying to overcome is public perception of him. Yeah. Uh, which really came to a head that year with the Trump shit. Yeah. Uh, and whether you agree or not, pro tip, you shouldn't. <laughs> hey. Hey. It's still fascinating to hear music that's incredibly personal. Yeah. And going through those feelings. Uh, and Kid Cudi comes at it, too, because he released one of the worst damn albums of all time. <laughs> I'm not going to pull bunches yeah, on that one. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, Kanye West coming out of, like, bad, like, public perception. Kid Cudi coming out of just being a really shitty fucking artist. 
He just made one bad album. His other albums are fine. Uh, I guess. Man on the Moon is great. I do like. I know I love Man on the Moon. Uh, it's just Speed and Bullet to Heaven is just. Well, it's an experience. I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Spoiler: It's an F tier. <laughs> but yeah, he he uh, he tried something new. And Kanye tried something new, <laughs> and they both got tremendous shit for it. And then they came out of it somehow on top with this album. Yeah. Which, like, is kind of beautiful. It's spooky. like they, they, uh, they worked through the problems, even amongst themselves, because, man, they were arguing on Twitter, and uh, put their brains together, and their sum was greater than their holes in many ways. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I want them to do this Kanye again. has made a better album than this, though. And that's number two. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Number two album of the decade, for sure. Well, our number All two and one are the same, are right. aren't they? I think so, because my number one is The Roots, Undone. Ooh. And that's it. I agree. <laughs> it's just... Nothing tops that one. It's just better made than everything else. Maybe I'm biased for... Valuing a story higher than a not story, I don't know, but uh, music doesn't need it for sure. But man, it's impressive when, when you're it talking about off. albums. I prefer it to have one. I suppose it's impressive when it's managed and managed well. Yeah, because it, it's not hard to make a concept album. You could be any jag off and make a concept album, but will the concept work as an album? Maybe not. You might fuck it up. All right, briefly, because I know we're probably going long on this particular we're subject. At an hour and a half. Already, we got to talk about Batman. We do, but briefly, I'm going to tell you what the worst albums of twenty uh, the twenty tens are. Okay, go ahead. Because uh, I think it's funny. I ranked a lot of albums, but how how many should I say? What what do you think a solid number is? How many? Yeah. Do like, just do like 10 of them real quick. Okay, sure. Uh, <coughs> in descending order. Okay. Green Day, Uno. Green Day, Trey. <laughs> Weezer, Death to False Metal. Ugh. Weezer, Pacific Daydream. Jesus Weezer, yeah. Hurley. The Weezer trilogy is complete. <laughs> Uh, what those, a horrible And set those of Green albums. Day albums are shit too, but uh, the one saving grace of that era of Green Day was Dose, oddly enough. Just a good album. Dose, a weirdly good album. Uh, Scars on Broadway, Dictator. I loved Scars on Broadway's first album. You know what I don't like? When you just make it again, except worse this time. I can't abide by that album. It's like annoying to listen to. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the deal is. Bloodhound Gang, Hard Off. Everything I just said, say it again for this. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think it works anymore. No, I feel feel like they should try something different. Uh, Green Day. <laughs> How have they showed up so much at this bottom tier? Revolution Radio, the worst Green Day album, in my opinion. I, th- I agree. I, th- uh, I think so. It's the most recent one until this year. Ah! Got that album shaping up to be garbage. You remember if you if you I'm listen excited. to this podcast regularly, you'll know that about a good seven episodes ago we compared it to Bad Jet, which is an already bad band. So here you go. Yeah, Kid Cudi, Speed and Bullet to Heaven. Now, 
unlike a lot of the albums I just said, I recommend you listen to this one because <laughs> it's an experience. I, I, I think you need to have it. Uh, just keep my going. Mouth uh, mic. Yeah, just like just Kid Cudi throws on some like Nirvana music he bought from an auction that was like unreleased. Just like a weird like guitar riff, and then he just puts a bunch of marbles in his mouth, or like peanut M and M's maybe. He puts a bunch of peanut M and M's in his mouth, and he starts crunching those motherfuckers and going like, <laughs> into the mic, and then he says some shit like judgmental cunt, <laughs> and uh, and and that's that album. And then he hired Mike Judge to have Beavis and Butthead noises. Uh, and they go like, this album's great! And completely destroying the point of Beavis and Butthead, where yeah. they uh, make fun of every single band ever made. But hey, whatever. Anyway, it's an experience. Yeah. I listened to the whole thing with my mouth agape, because I couldn't believe it existed. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of which, Lou Reed and Metallica with Lulu is one step below this to me. Um, that's also an album I recommend listening to because it's an experience in and of itself. It is so Particularly weird. Particularly the fucking like 16 minute track on that fucking thing that just doesn't end just because I think they meant this to be a joke. I can't tell, but it wouldn't be the first time for Lou Reed. Yeah. It is out of the wheelhouse for Metallica, but maybe Metallica was part of the joke. Maybe Lou Reed is a genius and he was pulling a prank on everyone Including Metallica. That would be great. I think he might have. Anyway, Lou Reed says some, some weird poetry while James Hetfield in the background goes like, I'm the table! And then like, it's it's just harsh. And terrible sounding. Yeah, it sounds bad. And the lyrics are just, whew, stuff I wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I say a lot of weird shit <laughs> Like I wouldn't say that shit But this isn't the worst album of the decade And I think you know what the worst album of the decade is Yeah It's Corey Feldman Uh huh Angelic To The Core Which is possibly The worst album title ever Or the best I can't tell I don't know if I should recommend you listen to this one. No, not this one. It's it not is, an experience. It is an experience. I don't think so. I think it's just... It's not a good experience. This album's like 90 minutes of garbage. Um, but it's it's exquisite garbage. <laughs> it's garbage that you don't see quite every day. It, it's, it's a different tier of garbage than everything else I just stated. For sure. That's just like, you know, band that used to be good releases a bad album. Yeah. Boring. Corey Feldman has never done anything good in his life, and he doesn't continue to hear. <laughs> <laughs> You've got him, dude. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He was in Gremlins. He was fine in that, I guess. He was fine in Gremlins, yeah. yeah. I mean, as a musician, perhaps. I don't think he's ever done good anything no, as a never. musician. No, definitely not. Uh, and this album is just, you know... It's like he wrote the book on what not to do when making an album, and then made it an album. It's quite an incredible, quite an incredible listen. As an intermission. Okay. Before we get into 
Batman Returns. Hit me up, man. I'm going to read you um, from a GameSpot guide, um, Section 3, Game Premise, uh-huh. on the BMX XXX page. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Welcome to BMX Triple X, oh, the God. shiznits that puts the sex in Triple X stream action. This ain't your sister's BMX. This is crude and lewd, dude, with more than a little attitude. Get ready to grow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means you dick get hard from the game, Justin. Damn, because you've got your hands on the very best BMX action game ever. Mixed with funny-ass, sexy, over-the-top yucks to keep you laughing. Yeah, oh, even it's, as, oh, it's yuck, all right. Even as you fall on your face, this is the juiciest joint going. Take on the corrosive challenges of the hardcore tour. Oh, it's corrosive. If you've got the nuts to rock it, you move on until you master the mother load of moves with more than 2,000 tricks to bend your brain around. Of course, there's more to it than tricks, as you'll find when you build your own custom hottie to flash her little skirt over the verts as she grinds and bunny hops and stalls her thing all over. Drooling over a video game? We won't tell. But why not just talk about it? Drop everything else and do it. Oh my god, that was unpleasant. Why did you have to do that? Uh, I can't to, believe it said the game would make you grow. <laughs> thanks to good old, uh, good old Jeff Gersman from Giant Bomb for posting that. Oh, man. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that game sucks. Oh, it's trash. But there was titties in it, so I played it when I was 12. How about you? Uh, no, I never played it. That's a good choice. I just know about it. Yeah. I kind of wanted to play it, but... It's not good. My mom said no. I don't blame your mom. I wasn't, I wasn't even allowed to play GTA until I was, like, 18. Mm. Uh. So, anyway... <laughs> Batman time. Thanks for that non-sequitur, Justin. <laughs> I, I thought it was great. I thought it wasn't... I wouldn't say great. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if great's the words I would use to describe anything I BMX triple I'm pretty sure the author wrote that sarcastically. I would fucking hope so, but It sounds you know, like it, man. You know. The rhymes and the the make you yuck. It made me yuck. This is great. It's great. I yucked. Since Batman returned, he came back. Batman's here again. I wrote the baddest back. With, with Tim Burton. Notes. Yeah. He'd do it again with Danny DeVito being gross to duh. Yeah. He, uh, you know. He right. was casted to be gross. It's true. It's true. Yeah. He doesn't mind. That man will emerge naked out of a couch for you <laughs> at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it's great. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Batman Returns is a 1992 sequel to Batman 1989. Tim Burton returns to direct. Michael Keaton returns to star as Batman. So did Michael Goh as Alfred and Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. Pro tip. <laughs> um, these two actors, uh, the only two that would be the constants. 
in the 80s, 90s Batman film series. Yep. Everybody else swaps in and out or doesn't exist in all four. So, obviously, Batman 1989 was a huge success for WB, so they immediately put a sequel in production, store the sets from the previous film. Tim Burton, not committed to return as director. <laughs> Tim Burton said, I will return if the sequel offers something new and exciting. Otherwise, it's a most dumbfounded idea. <laughs> nice. As such, Burton decided to make a different movie, Edward Scissorhands, in 1990, which he produced with Denise DeNovi, the producer of Heathers. Bookmark that. Now, Sam Ham, <laughs> Sam Ham, the writer of the first film, uh, was hired to write a few drafts for the sequel. Ham brings in the Penguin and Catwoman as new villains while also introducing Robin and having a side plot for Billy D. Williams's Harvey Dent to become the villain Two-Face. The plot was to have focused on a treasure hunt. <coughs> I don't know why. That's weird. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, WB decides to convince Burton to return by granting him a large amount of creative freedom for the sequel. So Burton decides to hire on his recent producer partner from Edward Scissorhands, Denise DeNovi, relegating John Peters and Peter Goober to executive producer roles with less of a creative role. Burton also decides to hire writer Daniel Waters, who previously collaborated with DeNovi when he wrote Heathers. Production designer Anton First had other commitments, so Burton hired Bo Welch, who he worked with on Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. Special effects master Stan Winston, who worked on, you know, countless things. Terminator, Predator, Jurassic Park, and, uh, wait for it, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Uh, was brought in for penguins makeup as well as to make robotic penguin puppets. Now you see what's happening here. Yeah. He's just making the This Tim is unleashed Tim Burton, and boy does it, the finished product feel like it. Oh, yeah. Tim Burton unleashed. <laughs> Tim Burton all up in this movie. Is it a good thing? What, what's your what's your take? Mm. Should they have given him this much creative freedom? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> That's the weird thing, right? It is equal parts fucking hilariously interesting and equal parts really dumb. It's really distracting, too. Yeah. Particularly when that Danny Elfman score gets going and it sounds like a, a million other Tim Burton movies. Yeah. I don't know, it's very, very strange in this film. Now, obviously Tim Burton brought in his own guy, so fuck that Sam Ham script, get it out of here. Daniel Waters' script differs heavily from Sam Ham's. Sam Ham. Deletes, <laughs> what a great name. It deletes many elements while adding in the new original character, Max Shrek. Now, the Penguin's bid for Mare is added to this script. This is loosely based on a, tub, a double episode of the Batman television show. His Honor the Penguin and Dishonor the Penguin, spelled like H-I-Z-Z-O-N-E-R and D-I-Z-Z-O-N-E-R. Oh, 60s Batman, you can't spell. What the fuck are no, you doing? No, what the fuck? So... Penguin's bid for mayor with the backing of a rich executive was used by Waters because, quote, I wanted to show that the true villains of our world don't necessarily wear costumes. 
Waters also made significant changes to the character of Catwoman and how she was portrayed in the original script. His quote on this. Sam Hamm went back to the way comic books in general treat women, like fetishy sexual fantasy. I wanted to start off just at the lowest point in society, a very beaten down secretary. So he's trying to subvert the trope a little bit. Yeah. Waters deleted Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, and there may have been a disagreement with the studio involving Billy D. Williams coming back or whether he wanted to or not as well. And he deleted Robin. Uh, mainly because he felt there were too many characters, but also because uh, he dislikes the concept of Robin outright. Uh, he called him, quote, the most worthless character in the world, <laughs> especially with Batman as the loner of loners, which, I don't know, how do you feel about this? Because I see this point brought up a lot. I think it depends on what you are doing with Batman. In the moment. I'm a big fan of this mentality. Um, when you have a character that doesn't like something, you make them do that thing. Yeah. For sure. Because that makes the most interesting material, right? Yeah. Batman wants to work alone. Force him to not. Force him to realize that he's wrong. That's it. That's as simple as that. That's why Robin works to me. Yeah. Um, now, granted, I don't know if what a Tim Burton version of Robin would have or should have been. But maybe like this. Robin was still cast and plans to be in the film before ultimately being left out. Marlon Wayans was cast as Robin and uh, signed Ooh. on for a sequel. Originally oh. intended to be a young mechanic whose uniform has an R on it. Get it? He's Robin. Who is possibly hired to help fix the Batmobile, which is a kind of left-open plot hole in this film. Uh, eventually becoming a sidekick later on in the movie, or possibly even in the third film. But the movie is pretty overstuffed. I understand, on a base level, wanting to cut out some of the characters. But at the same time, he created a whole new character, too. So I don't know. Script's still kind of all over the place. It is very it's all like over the that, place. Is this the start of it, I guess? Yeah. Because it, it starts going in all kinds of comic book movies from here on out. Uh, most notoriously, and the one that almost kills it, is Spider-Man 3. Where you have three villains all with their own motivations and desires. And Spider-Man turning evil all in the same movie. And it's a complicated mess. Yeah. Overcomplicated mess. And I don't think this one gets lost in the weeds as much as that movie does. No, because I don't think it, nowhere near as much as that, especially since our, your two villains, like, end up, like, working alongside each other anyway for a bit. Yeah. And it's more of a, and Catwoman's stuff is more of an origin story anyway. She's not exactly evil yet. So it's a little, like, different. It's not, like, villain, villain, villain. You know, like. <laughs> this movie was kind of villain, villain, villain. Well, it's, there's a little more ambiguity to the to the characters in it. Which yeah, okay. makes it more stomachable. All right, I can I can I can deal with it better. That's something like Spider Man Three, which is like evil, evil, evil. <laughs> Even Peter, like it's evil, evil, evil. The the most nice guy in that movie is the guy that shoots Uncle Ben. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny Elfman returns to score. Uh, I did just make fun of it a bit. But I do really love the Danny Elfman Batman score. Well, it's great. I, I generally like Danny Elfman scores. Yeah. Um, 
less pressure from the studio and more creative freedom is allowed by Burton this time around, and Danny Elfman is excited. However, the two feuded over this film's score, as well as further disputes the duo would have when they collaborated to make Nightmare Before Christmas. Eventually, the two reconciled, but their relationship went really bad here. Uh, Burton usually uses Danny Elfman to score his movies, but next movie he made, no Danny Elfman. Different guy scored Ed Wood. Fuck Danny Elfman, <laughs> Tim Burton said. And uh, now, I guess they're fine, because yeah. he scores every single Tim Burton movie ever. Right. So, let's go over our cast. Michael Keaton is back as the Batman. <coughs> and he is barely in this movie. It feels like. Yeah. This he is. like it, Burton was clearly more obsessed with the villains than Batman in both films. Yeah, it was, he wasn't yeah, he wasn't in 89 a whole lot either. No. But it's kind of the thing I liked about Batman 89 because it was more of like it was like an introduction to Batman. I, I honestly don't dislike it here either. I kind of like the fact that he's like the constant character. Like these movies could have kept going with Tim Burton or or whoever with Michael Keaton being Batman and him still being like kind of in the background. Yeah. I would have been alright with it. There's lots of Batman animated series episodes that use this same kind of theming. Yeah. Batman doesn't have as much characterization as the villains. And he's kind of just like... A device to move the plot forward. Yeah. And punish the villain characters for their hubris or what have you. Right. It's kind of like that mentality when we were talking about Die Hard. Where uh, the scriptwriter for that said that he thought more about what... Hans Gruber and his motivations were than John McClane's because yeah. Gruber moves the plot forward more than John McClane. John McClane's more of the reactionary element. Right. And I like that aspect of having your villains have more agency over the plot. But I would have liked to see more Batman. And what we do see of him, I think, is kind of goofy. It's very goofy. Um, I think Michael Keaton has kind of a weird face. At least it looks weird when it's squished in that tight bat costume. And it looks really funny. There's that very popular meme picture where his face is all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we saw it finally in full motion. <laughs> mm. But anyway, Keaton negotiated a higher payday with the help of Burton, who had more creative control this time, of $11 million. Ooh, getting paid. Yeah. Good for Michael Keaton. I do like the man, even though he isn't the reason I love either of the Burton movies. No. Danny DeVito, though, as the Penguin. Who boy. What a disgusting creation. <laughs> they really went out of their way to make this, like, the grossest character possible. And, oh boy. I think Danny DeVito was the perfect choice. But here is a overly large list of other actors considered for the part. And I, I just want to put this out there because, man, they had a lot of people considered for this. It's about as many as the Joker list yeah. and the Batman list last time. Dustin Hoffman, Marlon Brando. God, that would have been weird. John Candy. Jesus. <laughs> Bob Hoskins. Ah. Ralph Waite. Dean Martin. Oh, no. Dudley Moore. Alan Rickman, speaking of groovy. What the fuck? John Goodman. No. <laughs> Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Charles Grodin. 
Christopher Lee, Joe Pesci, oh, Ray Liotta, these are all Gabriel terrible. Byrne, Alex Rocco, and Christopher Lloyd were all considered for the role. But Jack Nicholson suggested Danny DeVito because that's his friend. And they took his suggestion. Probably because he ran the show in the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was a good suggestion. Danny DeVito embodies that character quite well. Now, obviously, the penguin that they chose to present here is very different. Certainly not the Burgess Meredith penguin. No. Um, looks more like a deformed monster than a rich criminal man. Yeah. But it's still interesting. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, I agree. Uh, however, I do think they go a little too far with some characters. In my opinion, namely, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Yeah. A lot of other characters, I'm sorry, actresses considered for this role as well. Including, here's another long list, Susan Sarandon. Meryl Streep, oh. Brooke Shields, Demi Moore, oh, no. Nicole Kidman, no. who would later appear in the sequel, Batman Forever, right. Jodie Foster, Gina Davis, Sigourney Weaver, Lena Olin, Madonna, <laughs> what the fuck, <laughs> Raquel Welch, Ugh. Cher, oh no, Ellen Barkin, mm. Jennifer Jason Leigh, mm. Lorraine Bracco, Bridget Fonda, and Jennifer Beals. However, the actress cast was... Michelle Pfeiffer. Nope. Annette Benning. What and happened? And then she got pregnant. <laughs> okay, I was like, what happened? <laughs> Annette Benning got pregnant. Oh, okay. And had to drop out, so Michelle Pfeiffer snatched that shit up. And somehow got paid more than Annette Benning was promised. But anyway. That's weird. I don't know. Uh, she went all out. She was devastated when Annette Benning got cast, but I think Michelle Pfeiffer does well given the material they gave her to work with. Yeah, I think so. I think she's a good Catwoman, but the Catwoman we get is a fucking weird version of the character that I don't like in particular. Um, giving her superpowers is a weird choice, if that's what they did. They kind of did because she's like invincible. She has nine die. lives. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. Like, does she get bit by a radioactive cat? Like, what happens? What I gives her powers? I don't get it. Batman doesn't have powers. No. The Penguin doesn't either. He's just a deformed kid. Right? Right. right. I, I don't know. It's a little wonky. It's very you wonky. You can tell that Tim Burton was flexing his creative dick on this movie and was like, <laughs> she's a cat. No, she's literally a cat, though. Cat woman. He was literally half cat, half woman. flopping his creative dick <laughs> on this movie. Speaking of which, let's talk about that original character, Christopher Walken. Yeah. As Max Shrek. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, you know who Shrek is. You know who he is. He's that big green guy. You know, when he, uh comes out of the outhouse and it goes somebody once told me you know shrek not that shrek this is max shrek this is a different shrek do not some picture christopher walken playing shrek some no matter what you do some 
Now, actually, the name is a reference to actor Max Shrek, spelled S-C-H-R-E-C-K, who played Count Orlock in the classic silent horror film Nosferatu. Yeah. It's a reference to that. Okay. But it's funnier if it's Shrek. Right. So, I'm just going to call this character Shrek. Mm Mm-hmm. Character was possibly created. I saw conflicting reports about this to fulfill the role Billy D. Williams's Harvey Dent would have filled in the movie. That's weird. Before he opted out of the film, I assume it would have been very different. But apparently, there's certain things like you know Max's death scene. Spoiler: where Catwoman kisses him with a taser, mm-hmm. and he dies. Wouldn't have killed Harvey Dent. Would have disfigured Harvey Dent. Becomes Two Face. Set up for sequel. But, alas, we never got Two-Faced Billy D. Williams. Well, we will eventually, and we'll get to see it, but it's very brief. It's in Lego Batman. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm excited to see that. I've always wanted to know what it would look and sound like. <laughs> uh, but it will be in Lego form, so oh well. I guess that's the best we'll get. David Bowie was previously considered to play the Joker in Batman and was supposed to play Max Shrek here. But he decided to appear in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me instead. So we got Christopher Walken, which, I mean, God bless Christopher Walken. I I, I honestly think it might have been a better choice because Christopher Walken is a meme man. And plus Bowie's Bowie's shit in Firewalk with me is fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Now, Burton was hesitant to cast Walken. Yeah, I'm sure. Because the actor uh, scared him. (laughs) <laughs> that's Burton's words not, not that's mine. funny as fuck <laughs> but the two would collaborate again on future films many future films uh, namely Sweeney Todd mm-hmm. where Christopher Walken does nothing but scream and it's a treat I don't know I don't know how I, if I could speak to the quality of that film but that part's hilarious. It's great. Good lord, he's just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and can't forget this man. I wish I could though. Andrew Brianarski is back, baby, mm. as Chip Shrek. <laughs> oh God! Now, of course, if you don't remember, we've seen Andrew before on the Gannon Jub show. He played Leatherface. In Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 and Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Beginning, the best film we've ever seen on this show. Exactly. For opposite. sure. And uh, uh, we also know him because uh, he told a fan uh, who was mad that he uh, made fun of <coughs> deceased original Leatherface Gunner Hansen to uh, suck Gunner Hansen's dead nuts. Anyway, he's in this movie too as a younger man. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I like him. Anyway, I mean, I don't know. He's not a big part. It's just weird. It's weird that, like, everything's connected in the Gen and Jub universe. I don't understand why. I'm half expecting Matthew McConaughey to show up in one of these movies. Maybe Sylvester Stallone. I don't know. In the future, probably. <laughs> so, Maybe in the future. WB used 50% of its entire studio... As sets, as well as additional set that they had from Universal Studios to commence filming. Uh, The largest sets being Gotham Plaza, which was based on Rockefeller Center in New York City, and the Penguin Sewer Lair, 
for which they included a 500,000-gallon tank of water. I, okay. Why? That was real water, man. That's just, that's a real room that they made. That's fucking crazy. I don't know why. I mean, because, whatever, it looked cool. Can't fault him for that. The sets, while plentiful, were sworn to secrecy and hidden from the public and even celebrities. I, I saw that uh, uh, Kevin Costner <laughs> asked to get, let me see a peek at that. And they're like, fuck you, Kevin Costner. And he's like, what the fuck? I'm Kevin Costner. And they're like, we don't care. No Damn. one allowed to see what Danny DeVito looks like as the penguin. <laughs> and then someone took a picture of Danny DeVito as the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and leaked it, and WB was like, we're hiring a private eye. Research this shit. Kill everyone responsible. <laughs> they didn't say that, but they did They did do that. They did uh, try to have legal action against people that leaked pictures of the Danny DeVito penguin. Weird to think now, because stuff leaks about shows and comic book movies all the time, and it's just like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. That's... Someone's holding a Thanos head. Whatever. It'll look better when the trailer drops. Come on, man. So, uh, another couple facts about the movie before we get into the plot here. Animal rights activists protested the use of live penguins in the film after they heard that rockets were being strapped to their backs. The rockets were fake. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. I don't know what their concern was. <laughs> did, did they think they were, like, too heavy to hurt the pangies? They're probably just plastic. They were literally just plastic, and they're fine. No penguins were actually exploded in the making of this film, believe it or not, PETA. <sighs> Sets were kept freezing cold to accommodate the penguins. In fact, they, they went all out. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was extremely cold as a result because literally all she is wearing is the thin latex Catwoman costume. Cold as shit. Uh, speaking of the Catwoman costumes, um, they were extremely tight. Uh, Pfeiffer had to be covered in talcum powder <laughs> and then, like, forced into the costume. Jesus. Uh, which was then brushed with, uh, liquid silicone to appear shiny. Uh, Danny DeVito, also uncomfortable in his penguin costume, uh, which uh, he said made it easy for him to get into character as an unpleasant man. <laughs> uh, he had to have makeup and prosthetics applied for four and a half hours each day. Damn. Danny DeVito said that they got it down to three by the end of the shoot. Now, Keaton, as well, just as he did last time, remained stiff and uncomfortable in his bat suit. Although, the new design did make it slightly more flexible than the ones used for the first film. And these... had a piss flap. Good job. Michael Keaton could pee in the bat suit. Ooh. <laughs> so, like, yeah, literally, like, whenever you see a character in this movie, it's a 80% chance that they're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're watching this movie, the there's an 80% chance you're uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, the penguin drools a gross-ass black ooze in this movie. <laughs> he does. And uh, Danny DeVito put Listerine 
and uh, red and green food coloring in his mouth to create this effect and just drooled it all the time. (laughs) 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 But, like, this leads me to question, what is it supposed to be? What's the canon on this? Does what does penguin have in his mouth? Listerine and <laughs> red and green food color. No, we know that's not that's not it. He lives in a sewer. Uh, is it poop? Does penguin have shit in his mouth? He's just drooling shit out of his like mouth poop. constantly. No, it looks vile though. It looks like bile. I don't know. Maybe he just like just constantly vomits. <laughs> Which he is a disgusting man, so... What are you gonna do? Okay. I think we're good. I'll save the rest for later, because they deal with the ending of the movie, which I slightly spoiled. Yeah. What's the plot of this movie? Okay, movie starts. <laughs> we threw a baby in a river. Threw a baby in a river. Yeah, it was weird how triumphant some of the themes sounded while we watched this baby just get unceremoniously chucked. No, we did watch a baby also unceremoniously eat a cat. So, like, do I blame them? I don't know. Uh, fun fact. The Penguin's dad <coughs> is played by Paul Rubens, Pee-wee Herman himself. Mm-hmm. You know who was originally supposed to play him? Uh. Burgess Meredith, the original actor for The Penguin from the 60s television show. Oh, that would have been nice. That would have been cool. Burgess Meredith unfortunately fell ill. He would he would die like seven years after this movie uh, came out. Poor health at the time, so... So they went with a much younger Paul Rubens. Like, I don't know. It's a cameo. It's fine. He doesn't have a big role. He's in the movie for literally, like, 40 seconds. Yeah. So I don't really care that much. Um, so this is so this is already weird. Yeah. It's weird from the get. You got baby. Baby eats cat, and they're like, oh, fuck. Better throw it in the river. And then they mm. do. Yeah. And that's the start of the movie. Yeah. And then we go to, uh... It takes a weirdly long time for Batman to show up in this Batman Oh, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. We, we, talk, we go for a while before Batman shows up. We got... Shrek. <laughs> Donkey! <laughs> we out here. Having a discussion with some corporate higher-ups about energy and shit. Calls man, on, uh, man wants to make a power plant. Calls on his secretary to bring some coffee. She got too many F's in her name. Fuck you. Go back to the, the name store and and Return remove it. some of them F's. Don't need that many. Can I get some of these F's shaved, please? <laughs> shouldn't have three F's in your last name. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's your name. Can't help it. But damn. Anyway, she brings coffee and then like tries to make some kind of comment and they laugh at her because she's a woman. And That's then, basically what's happening. Yeah, yeah. it's stupid. And yeah. and then they leave mm-hmm. to go do Gotham tree lighting ceremony because it's Crimbus. It's Crimbus time. It's a Christmas movie. We missed an opportunity here. Yeah, we did. Damn, we should have watched it on Christmas. It's fun for the whole family except for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being... Uh, I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid, but I remember being terrified by this movie. So. Oh, yeah. Dude, our one friend uh, claims that this movie made him throw up. 
Yeah, Danny DeVito apparently Particularly made him throw because, up. yeah, Danny DeVito made him throw up, basically. Which, like, he's... He's <sighs> gross, man. Yeah. He's really gross in this movie. I feel bad, because, like, it feels like I'm saying Danny DeVito's gross, but I'm not. I'm not really. Danny DeVito's a lovely man. Great human. I'd vote for him for president. Yeah, me Let's too. Let's go. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think he knows how to be gross, though. Yeah, he does. And he embraces it. With his, every fiber of his being in this role, and and just unleashes it upon an unsuspecting world, <laughs> and God, he is a vile creature. <laughs> Jesus Christ! The prosthetics are great looking. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look unnatural or anything. Oh God, I was looking at a, at a uh, screenshot of Darth Maul from the Phantom Menace the other day, and you could see where they glued the horns on his fucking head. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that movie's supposed to have great special effects. What the fuck? Anyway, this movie from 1992, I believed he was a penguin man. Yeah. I believed. Because <laughs> Danny DeVito makes it happen. Because he plays the penguin man well. So anyway, um, so they all leave, and then Michelle Pafifi looks and then sees his papers in there. She's like, oh shit, God, bring him speech papers. He's not going to know what to say because he's a dum-dum. Yeah. So she goes and brings it down to him. Shrek gets on the mic, tells everybody to get out of his swamp. Everybody cheers. <laughs> he notices he doesn't have a script, and he's like, ah, jeez, remind me to kill my secretary later. Ooh. And he walks the mic, just get the get the feedback. Of course. Get a- out of my swamp. <laughs> There's a lot of like weird stock sounds in this movie. There Unless is. they came from this movie, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, the crowd reaction noises are mm-hmm. like just look up crowd reaction noise, and that's what you find. Yeah, they just plopped that sound in there. Also, mic feedback is such a dumb, weird trope that happens every time a character speaks. Which doesn't always happen. Anything. Mic feedback doesn't just happen like that all the time. It's weird. Why does it happen every time in every movie? I don't know, man. Find me a movie where mic feedback doesn't happen. You can't. (laughs) I don't know if you can. Wow. Your sound technicians suck. Fix them. (laughs) Probably drives the actual sound guys on the movie nuts. You know, we gotta fucking put this in. Why? Everybody, people know how to do mics, guys. Fuck. Anyway, after Shrek tells everybody to get out of the swamp and they cheer, uh, clowns show up. It's the circus gang. Yeah, what the fuck's up with this? I love them. I love this gang. They, they a lot of and unique members. I love the organ grinder guy. Yeah. Driving in his fucking Dragula down the street later. But uh, <laughs> um, the, the like, ballerina or, like, some weird lady that has a pool. Yeah. Uh, and you got some clowns and shit. I like the look of them, but, like, the whole time I kept thinking, I was like, were they, was this supposed to be Joker's gang in the first one? Because they're Penguin's gang. But clearly there's, like, a circus theme going on. And that's more of a Joker thing to me. Well, it sounds like he Maybe hired them. Maybe just because of, like, the killing joke or whatever, but, like, I don't know. Well, it, it sounded to me like there's, like, a newspaper clipping that Bruce Wayne reads later where there was, like, a Penguin boy at the zoo... So, like, I think he, like, worked with some of these people mm. at, like, a freak show, and then they became a gang or whatever. Oh, okay. I think. Because it's partially implied that he lived in the sewer forever, but, like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. I even, like, 
remarked on it while we were watching the movie. I'm like, are they, are they, am I to believe that he just learned English down in the sewer? <laughs> no, I think he... They don't explain it enough, but I think he linked up with this circus freak show of criminals mm. and then became their de facto leader down the line. I think. The movie doesn't tell you for sure. No, it does not. And either way, I think this is more of a Joker thug situation than a penguin thug situation for sure just wanted to fit the weird tim burton aesthetic gotta have weirdo clowns and freaks i guess i guess so it's fine anyway batman shows up yep and he starts beating him up he sets like one guy on fire yeah body count goes up immediately oh let me look this up i forgot to do that i want to know how many people die in this movie in the last one yeah let me know because it's probably a lot <laughs> A lot of people die in these movies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Batman starts beating up all the flock of villains, and then Michelle shows up to bring papers, and she gets attacked by a criminal. Batman shows up, beats him up, and goes like, hey, bye, and leaves, and she's like, all the boys always leave me. And then they, and then we follow the Fifey back the to fifey. her, back to her apartment where she clearly lives a miserable life. And then she gets called back to her office because apparently she forgot something or whatever. In the meantime, Shrek gets captured by the clowns and he is brought to the penguin's lair. This is where we meet him. It's where you meet Danny DeVito's penguin. Looking all gross and shit. They strike a deal together to take over Gotham City. They preserve Shrek's legacy, which is a big old power plant thing that apparently actually siphons power from Gotham. I don't know. This guy's intentions are weird. I don't get him. He does, does a really bad job of it, in my opinion. Then we get... Michelle Fifth returning back to her office where she is unceremoniously pushed out a window by Shrek. This scene is amazing. Because <laughs> she's all like, it's not like you could just kill me. And he's like, in full Christopher Walken charisma mode. Yeah. Actually, it's a lot like that. And then they have a big laugh about it. And then he just does it. Yeah, then he just quickly pushes her out the window. I love this scene. <laughs> it's hilarious. I wish there was more Christopher Walken in this movie. He's a good villain. Uh, but I, I guess, like, it is distracting to have him in this movie with other villains in it. Right. Somebody had to have less screen time. It's just hard to tell, like, his intentions. I, I, I don't get business it. Businessman asshole. Yeah, like, I don't get it. Well, it's not to get. He's a businessman asshole. I don't know. It's very basic. He's, he's like well, a like, real world bad guy. He just looks like a Tim. Like, Burton what's villain. the point of the power plant thing? Why is it so important to him? He just says that it's his legacy, but that doesn't mean anything. And then, the, then like, there's this little, the little twisty thing where she, where Michelle <laughs> says that it's siphoning power instead of actually giving power. But then they don't elaborate on that. No, they don't. They could have explained it more. But like, hey, you know, I don't know. What's the point of Trump's wall? 
I don't know. I mean, it's dumb. Yes. But then it does have a purpose. This guy could be dumb. It's possible. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I have a death count, by the way. Oh, okay, good. No. So, after Fifth falls out the window and crashes, uh, she's dead. She's, like, clearly dead. And then a bunch of stray cats just show up and start, like, biting her and shit. And it's weird. Yeah. I don't know about this. What makes her become Catwoman? I don't know. And then after this, she, like, has a Tommy Wiseau moment where she just, like, trashes her apartment. I'm fed up with this world. Ah! And crashes everything. Uh... She has this, like, neon light. It says hello there. And then, like, she crashes two of the letters and it says hell here. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) That's dumb as fuck. She's entertaining and fun in this role, though. I think Michelle Pfeiffer pulls it off, but I just don't like the weird, like, ambiguous nature of this character's existence. Yeah. Uh... I definitely like my Batman villains more grounded anyway. There are great fantastical ones like Clayface, Mr. Freeze. But it depends, and their origins are clearly given in the comics anyway. Like, you know how Clayface becomes Clayface. You know how Mr. Freeze becomes Mr. Freeze. In this, it's just like, I don't know. There's a question I have here about what works in this universe that makes Catwoman become Catwoman that is not answered at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. So we have Brucifer Wayne. Brucifer? Brucifer Wayne. Sure. Shows up to Shrek's place. Yeah. Talk about it. He's like... He's like, Shrek, I don't agree with your power plant, you fuck. Shrek's like, I don't give a fuck, you fuck. And then Pfeiffer shows up. And Walken's like, he saw a ghost. <laughs> Shrek's like, what the fuck? They, he does. He chooses not to do anything about it. He's just like, ah, fuck it. Because, well, she gives the uh, alibi that she, I don't know, has CTE, basically, where she forgot everything. Yeah. And he's like, ah, whatever. She's like, I got bigger yeah, problems. Bigger fish to fry. Bitch. If she says anything else, I'll kill her again. That's what he said. Uh, out of a high, throw her out of a higher window. That's what it was. What it was a throw her out of a higher uh, window, which is great. That's funny. <laughs> to his son, so his son's clearly in on all this crap too. Oh yeah, doesn't surprise me. So it's clearly also a piece of shit. So uh, then what? Fuck, I don't fucking remember. <laughs> Stuff just kind of happens. This is the middle point of the movie, and uh, it's... Uh, Look, it's we're eventually easy. getting to the point. Uh, the penguin... Oh! Here it is. The penguin has a scheme. Yes. That he puts together with Max Shrek. Yeah. Where, like, a baby gets stolen by, like, one of his gang. Yeah, and then he... And then the penguin, like... Comes up out of the comes ground. Comes out of the sewer like he saved the baby. In a big duck? <laughs> yeah, in a big duck. <laughs> and then everybody's like, oh my god, oh, the penguin saved that baby. We love the penguin mutant penguin man. <laughs> yep, and then the whole the press explodes about it. 
And they eventually, he's like, well, I just want to find my parents. Yeah, and Batman is suspicious of him because I th- like he, he spies on him. Mm-hmm. And he his parents are dead. He knows this. He visits them at the cemetery. Yeah. Um, so Penguin finds out his parents are dead. And then he's like, I don't know. I'm going to move on. I forgive my parents. Like, you know, he's trying to seem like a selfless being. But in reality, he's like a vile piece of shit. Garbage right. man. Yeah. He's the trash man. And all of this is a setup for Shrek to make him take a bit as mayor. This plot is silly. Yeah. But, like, basically Shrek feels like the current mayor won't let him do the power plant. And if he helps put in a person in power that he can somewhat control, he'll have the excuse to do everything. But I don't know what makes him think he can control the penguin, the man who kidnapped him. I don't know. To make him do something. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. It's like the villains teaming up, and it's fine. I get it. Uh, This scene is amazing, by the way, because he gives Penguin this fucking fish to eat. (laughs) And he's just eating it as he's (laughs) walking downstairs. He's eating this fish, and he comes downstairs, and there's a bunch of people, and he has this whole campaign set up, and he's like, dude, it's like December. (laughs) He's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. There could be a special election. If, you know, the mayor is shit or whatever, gets ousted from office. Uh, and well, the fish they're like, is spilling out of his mouth. Yeah, he's just being a disgusting fuck. And they're like, here's your image consultant. And he's like, oh, I'd like to consult her image or, or whatever. Like, he, he we, we find out he is a uh, a creepy man, too. Yeah, he is. He's quite creepy. Yeah. He gropes women and shit. Hate it. With his fucking flipper arms. He has flipper arms, by the way. Yes. Um, and then some dude uh, says something to him, and he bites his fucking nose off. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's a fuck. Disturbing. Mm-hmm. I could see how uh, maybe some kids were upset by this family film. Nah, it's for everybody. Just watch that guy get bit in the nose and blood spews out. Yeah. Watch this girl get thrown from a building. Now, I don't know why this was a surprise to some people, because it was, like, a big deal that people were like, oh, this one's way darker than the last one. Whoa, this isn't for kids. Did you watch Batman 1989 where the Joker kills all these fucking people? Did you? Right. He's, he's like, just as violent as the Penguin. Like, come on, man. In fact, looking at those death totals, more people die in Batman 1989. For sure. Yeah, Joker just is an agent of chaos. Yes. And just wants to blow everything and everybody up, basically. And then we get some more Catwoman origin shit, I believe. Yeah, this is her, uh... I mean, yeah, she... Catwoman tries to rob one of Shrek's businesses. That's what it is, yeah. Good, which uh, is styled after a cat, by the way, for some reason. So you get that really cool shot of her leaning up against the glass window and it's a big, thick Cheshire cat. Yeah. And her looking out of it. Lots of good shots in this movie. Oh, yeah. Tim Burton's good at that, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, more of an image guy than maybe a execution and story guy. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, she takes out some cops uh, who say some sexist things, as they do. Like, wow, she look them at away. this dame. Yeah, she shoes them away, actually. She yeah. doesn't hurt them at all. Whips the shit out of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have this, like, quick moment where all three of our leads uh, meet briefly. Because Batman and Penguin have a conversation, and then she just, like, comes out of that place she just rigged to explode. 
and says, like, hello. <laughs> and then it explodes. Yeah. And then the penguin just says, I don't know, later, and flies away on a fucking umbrella. Yeah. Of which he has several weird trick umbrellas in this, which uh, is the most comic accurate part of this character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Batman and Catwoman have a fight. And she, like, she stabs Batman with her claw thingies. Yeah. And he injures her with some kind of, like, fucking corrosive goop that he shoots at her. I don't fucking know. I don't know. And, uh, I think she, uh, kind of, like, swears to get revenge on Batman. Like, her, her motivations are strange. Because, like, while she ends up having a relationship with Bruce Wayne and doesn't know that he's Batman... They're fighting this whole movie, and she, like, kind of, like, hates Batman, but, like, Batman saved her life earlier in the movie. It's, like, this weird pseudo-feminist kind of thing that, like, doesn't really pan out. Yeah. I don't know what they were trying to do. Like, I don't need a man to help me, but, like, she did when she was a secretary and not Catwoman. Like, I, pfft, she would have fucking died. <laughs> oh, well. And then, yeah... We get Bruce and Selina going to dinner, uh, making out a bunch, and then they're, like, both injured, and they don't want the other one to find out that they're injured, but they don't know that each other has caused the injury. Yeah. Something like that. So they decide not to. While this is happening, or after this happens, Catwoman goes to see Penguin. In a weird-ass scene where Penguin is horny as fuck for Catwoman. Yeah. So this is uh, <laughs> during... So the relighting of the tree ceremony is about to happen. Yeah. Um, Alfred gets word that something's going on. Let's Bruce know. Bruce is like, hey, I gotta go. M- Michelle P- 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 is also like, yeah, I gotta go. Yes. And then do the like, little goofy thing with Alfred where each person's like, go tell him, tell him whatever. And Jeez. I was like, okay. And then they Alfred's leave. It's like these fucking horny kids, I swear to God. <laughs> so. They enter an alliance. Yeah. Which is they're going to help each other take out Batman because that's what they want to do. Right. So I guess she agrees to stop Batman from rescuing some kind of princess character. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of like celebrity that Penguin. It appears murders mm-hmm. with Batman's shit, but he doesn't. But then everyone sees her fall and die, and everyone thinks Batman did it because he's right there. So uh, Penguin tricked Gotham into hating Batman. Yeah. And uh, Catwoman is kind of offended by this because she didn't know... That he was going to kill her. That he was going to kill her. We get a great line here where he's... uh. She's like, I thought you were just going to scare her. And he was like, she looked pretty scared to me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. This movie has flashes of 60s Batman in it. So much so that, like, I'm very surprised when people say, oh, the Tim Burton Batman movies were dark and serious, but those Joel Schumacher ones, oh, those were campy like the 60s Batman, and they were stupid. And I'm like, did you fucking watch Batman Returns? This is the cheesiest shit ever. <laughs> I yeah. think it's fun, though. I, I do, too. I do think the Schumacher movies fuck up in multiple ways. 
at maintaining this kind of tone. But, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to have a different opinion on Batman Forever by the end of this. Been we'll a while see. since I've seen that one, too. We'll see. I know it's probably worse than this. Don't worry. It is. <laughs> but it makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens after this? We get another fight between uh, Batman and Catwoman. Yes. Um... Catwoman rejects the penguin. He tries right. to kill her as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, she, like, falls into a greenhouse. Yes. Gets injured. Her mm-hmm. costume gets fucked up. Her hair sticks out of it now. Yeah. Uh, I like the look of that, actually. I like that look of, like, the distressed Catwoman costume. Should have mm-hmm. made a better costume, maybe. Just fucking stitched together fucking shit. Right. Uh, what do you think of the Catwoman costume? It's, it's not bad. It's weird. Yeah, it's definitely strange. Um, I don't hate it. No, I don't hate it either. It's fine, I guess. Probably a little too tight. But, you know. So, this was also topped off. Sorry, I kind of forgot to mention this. By the Penguin had all of his gang go dismantle the Batmobile. Yeah. And, uh... Put it back together. Put it back together with, like, a fucking thing on it that lets Penguin control it. So he's in his fucking yeah. mare van controlling this stupid-ass, like, Batmobile, like, store, outside of a store ride-looking yeah. thing. Right. And he's controlling it and making it, like, try to run over pedestrians and hit people in traffic. And Batman is able to... Plop in a CD and record the Penguin telling him all this shit while finding the source of the control, dismantling that little gadget, and then... Stopping the car right before it hits an old lady. Yes. With an extreme (laughs) close-up of that old lady. Oh my god. What is this, Die Hard with a Vengeance? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Batman saves the day. And then when the Penguin is giving a big-ass speech, Batman plays the disc for everybody to hear. And then the Penguin says some awful nasty shit, and then everybody goes, Hey! The Penguin's actually a bad guy! And then turns on the Penguin. Uh, Batman even gives a record scratch to the CD, which is not how CDs work. That was a weird moment. That's yeah. a Joel Schumacher moment right there. Yeah. Batman giving a little burp, 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 record scratch. Come on, man. So after that, there's a uh, there's a party. Yeah. For uh, Shrek's is it Shrek's birthday. Is that what that is? I think it's for Christmas. It's it's a charity Christmas ball party? of some That's sort. That's right. It's a Christmas charity ball. So uh, you got both. You got, you got the, the whole gang's here. Oh, yeah. Bruce and Selina hanging out, Shrek mm-hmm. in the background. But then the penguin shows up. Before this, we get a scene of him in the sewer where he denounces his humanity, declares that he is not Oswald Cobblepot. He is the penguin. Yeah. And our new plan <coughs> that we should have done before we got distracted with all this mare nonsense. Because as soon as like he hears the... Uh, bad shit being said, Shrek, like, just leaves the penguin to, yeah. you know, run away. 
And uh, our new plan is just, you know, fuck it. <laughs> We're going to just kidnap a bunch of babies and throw them in the river. <laughs> That's his plan. That's his plan. And then he's going to blow up Gotham or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and then, like, there's this one fat clown guy who's like, well, that's kind of far, Mr. Penguin. And Penguin just shoots him. That's great. Man. Penguin's a lot like the Joker in this. Just shoots his own guys. Yeah. It's interesting. It's this weird, like, let's just do the same thing again, except it's different kind yeah. of mentality they had with the Penguin. You can't just make every villain the Joker. I don't think you should. There should be differences. I think they wanted the Joker, but they killed him. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Burton did. Or maybe yeah. he was into having this penguin guy be different and he wanted to make the character what he wanted. You know. Uh, who knows? I'm also during this ball scene, you have uh, you have Bruce and Selena figuring out who each other are. Well, yeah, because they kiss and then they say something that like only like Batman and Catwoman would know. Yeah. I forget exactly what it was. And then she's like, so should we start fighting? <laughs> yeah, good question. Anyway, Penguin shows up. Yeah, blows the, the thing up. On his big old duck Bubba mobile. Ducky. And uh, threatens to kidnap Shrek's son, Chip. Andrew Brianarski. <laughs> and uh, Shrek is like, wait, take me instead. That's a good Christopher Walken. That was decent <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's what it made me do. And uh, he's like, "Yeah, okay, you make a good point." <laughs> yeah, come here, motherfucker. Says that. And uh, get in the duck. Yeah, <laughs> kidnaps Max Shrek, hangs him in this bird cage above the pool of water. Um, Batman takes out a lot of the rest of the gang. Yep. While they're terrorizing Gotham, and then heads to take out the Pangy. Um, I think Batman kills one of these guys. Yeah, he does. I'm trying to remember how he did it. Because he sets that one guy on fire, but there's another guy that he kills, and like it's it's hard to argue that he doesn't kill the guy. I forget, though, exactly how he did it. Well, anyway. Uh, the Penguin... Oh, yeah, because this is Batman stopping all the kidnappings of kids. And then the Penguin right. just says, Fuck it, I'm going to use my Penguins to blow up Gotham. And there are so many penguins. There's a lot of penguins. <laughs> it's like a hundred. At this point, our friend Mark Toth was laughing openly at the movie. Because there was just so many penguins. And then the penguin gives like a Patton-esque speech to them. Like, gentlemen, we're going to march into the trenches. It's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, and then they all got little rockets strapped to their backs. And they, you know, this is a combination of real penguins, little people, and stop motion. Lots of shit going on here. Batman stops them all because, I don't know, he just does a Batman thing. Hacks their signal. Yeah, so he with does. With the help of Alfred, I believe. Yep, hacks their signal and then turns them back. Penguin gets mad. He gets butt mad. And Batman arrives in the bat boat thingy. Yeah. And, uh, fights the penguin. And uh, I think Penguin made the sewer water toxic. Yeah. And he falls in that shit after the fight with Batman, so he's going to die. Yeah. We think he's dead then. But anyway, Catwoman shows up to kill Shrek. 
who kind of escapes with the help of a monkey. Yeah. Gives him some keys. Yeah, there's a monkey in this movie. I forgot to mention that part. And then monkey in this movie. No. The organ grinder bad guy had the monkey. Yep. Anyway. At least it doesn't do a Hitler salute like in Raiders. No, great. <laughs> George, why? Why, George Lucas? The monkey didn't have to hail Hitler. No, it did not. Mm. So, uh, at this point, you get uh, Catwoman getting a taser. Well, they have, like, an argument where, like, he reveals that he's Batman, which, like, we knew already, so I don't know why he chooses to do it dramatically in front of Shrek. Right. Um, just to be cheesy, I guess. I guess. Um, he's all like, you know, come on, Selena, you don't have to do this. Which, like, I don't know what, where this guy gets off. Batman's killed a lot of people in this movie, and in the previous one. And, like, even if we take it back to the last movie... What does Batman want to do at the end of that movie? Kill the fucking Joker to get revenge. Because the Joker killed his parents. What's Catwoman want to do at the end of this movie? Kill fucking Max Shrek because he killed her. I don't think these things are that different. No, not at all. But, like, Batman is like, no, you don't have to do it. Don't do it, Selina. And I'm like, you think that Batman's this character that doesn't kill, but you've clearly established him as not in these two movies. So I don't think he really earned that moment. It didn't really work for me. No. <laughs> but anyway, she just fucking does it anyway because whatever. And then the penguin comes out of the water and he's all like, Bleh! and then he dies. He yeah. doesn't get to do a whole lot because he's poisoned as hell. Right. <laughs> and uh, the place collapses. Christopher Walken has become a skeleton. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, Batman escapes. And uh, he's driving with Alfred, and he's like, wait a minute, Alfred, let me out of the car. And he goes, and there's just a little black cat, and he takes the black cat. He's looking around, and like he thinks that Selina is dead, but then it turns out she's not. As she looks up in the sky at the Batmobile, and that's the, at the Bat-Signal, sorry, and that's the final shot of the movie. Yep. This movie's okay. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. That's fine. That's fine. It's funny as fuck, but it's all, but like... As a cohesive whole, it's okay. It has a lot of problems. It's number three on the list so far. I think I'd say so. For I'd sure. say so too. And, and that's not that's not to say it's bad. Um, I enjoy the hell out of this movie. I, I haven't seen it since I was a little kid, and uh, I really enjoyed it this time around. I thought the effects are excellent. I love how campy and weird it is. I love how unique it is in the in all of these movies. Because, really, it's got a completely unique take on two classic Batman villains. But, all in all, I don't know if it justifies that unique take completely. I like the new Penguin. I just, I don't like the new Catwoman in in as far as her origin is concerned and a couple other things. And I really wish Batman could have worked better in these two movies for sure. But Tim Burton seemingly didn't care about Batman in the Batman movies. Probably because he doesn't like comic books. What's your take? I think it's uh, a bit of a mess. Yeah. But it's funny. <laughs> well, you're, you're correct. Is that all you got to say about it? That's it. 
All right, sure. I guess I can't ask for more than that. The original <laughs> ending had Catwoman presumed dead. Uh, but WB wanted to use the character in the future in a spin-off film or sequel. So, the final shot was added to definitively show she survived. Now, Catwoman doesn't face the camera in that shot because that was a stand-in, not Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. This <laughs> filming already concluded. A Catwoman movie remained in development hell for nearly a decade until... 2004's Catwoman, starring Halle Berry, was released. More on that when we watch uh, that movie in the future. We'll talk about the uh, various versions of Catwoman that were tried to be made in tandem with the Batman series that were delayed until that series had come and gone and died. Batman Returns received mostly positive reviews while still receiving a lot of criticism for its dark and violent tone. 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, that is higher than Batman 89, the highest ranked so far of these three films. Weird, because I think it's the worst of the three. I agree. Was a success, grossing $266.8 million on an $80 million budget, not quite nearly as much as the 400 and change million of Batman 89, but still... Now, however, the darker, less kid-friendly scenes ended up creating a problem. Right, we gotta talk about McDonald's for a minute. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I knew it was gonna come. We to do. This. We do. This is important. This is this affects Batman film history. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Hit me. McDonald's was a huge commercial and marketing partner for the film. Tie-ins. Batman's face is on the bag. Yeah. The bat symbol is on the fries. Right. On the drinks. Toys. Happy Meal toys. Connected to this movie. Where the penguin vomits Listerine, bites a dude's nose, Catwoman gets pushed out of a window and dies and gets shot multiple times and lives and... Uh, there's various weird, kooky, crazy things in this movie that maybe kids are like, ah, Mom, what's that? And then the parents are mad, okay? Right. Now, so, they, so McDonald's was careful to avoid Happy Meal toys that represented the film itself. This is their own admission. If you look at the Happy Meal toys, um, the penguin looks more like the 1960s penguin or like the comic book penguin not the Danny DeVito monster penguin uh the Batmobile does look like the 80s 90s Batmobile but you know I digress they were just all car based little toys so they intentionally avoided being actually connected to the movie now this association between toys meant for ages three and up and this movie means lots of angry parents some of whom accuse McDonald's of promoting a film not suitable for children. The Pearl Clutching <laughs> convinces McDonald's to request a lot more oversight and approval if they were to ever partner with WB on a Batman film again. And this eventually, in a roundabout way, causes Tim Burton to decline to return for a sequel where he would inevitably have less creative control. Because that's the whole reason it looked like this. <laughs> it ended up like this. Right. Uh, and that results 
in the inarguably more kid-friendly Batman Forever. But more on that in a few weeks. Next week, we're not watching Batman Forever. We're watching Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Hell yeah. And I'm fucking hype. Hell yeah. That movie fucking slaps. Hell yeah. It's going to be our new number one. Hell yeah. And you can't tell me otherwise. Hell yeah. I love Batman the Animated Series. It's my favorite Batman thing ever. Hell yeah. And that movie might be my favorite Batman movie. Hell yeah. Can't wait to talk about it next week. And then we'll go back to the poopy ones. Batman Forever! And Batman and Robin! Oh no! Oh no! But until then, I'm I'm Zach Genhart. That's Justin Cutler. He's being the penguin. That's a good penguin impression, you disgusting human.